what do you get when you throw Legolas and a bunch of other great English actors into a crazy epic movie directed by Ridley Scott? It's this movie that we're covering. I don't know. I don't have anything. That's right. For the very first time ever, I watched The Kingdom of Heaven, or I think it's just Kingdom of Heaven. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Clear Tinted Classics, the show where I, your host, Jake Ryan Baker, watch classic movies for the very first time and give my nostalgia-free opinions on them. And today is a special episode. As you might have guessed, there's a guest. Guest and guest. I shouldn't have said that so close together. But my friend Andrew Zerberg is back on the show. Welcome, Andrew. Great to have you back. How's it going? (laughs) (laughs) Very okay. (laughs) How about yourself? I'm pretty good. Uh, How's it feel to be... On the show, solo covering uh, an epic Ridley Scott movie and not Tank Girl. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty excited. <laughs> One of my favorite Ridley Scott movies. You you're like, are you? Um, I'm starting to realize, are you like a big Ridley Scott guy? Or? I'm very hit or miss with him because, like, sometimes, like, 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 I remember like a year or two ago, I was thinking like, oh, I really love Ridley Scott, and then I was like, wait, but he's done all of these awful movies too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he has some misses for sure. Like uh, the Prometheus. Is, yeah, I watched that and I was just like, "This is awful." <laughs> I, like, I, there's I, some, I don't like. There's some good moments in it, but as a piece, it is not good. Yeah, I, was, I haven't even seen Alien Covenant, and I'm just like, I thought it was really bad too. But yeah, his his last couple swings at the Alien franchise have been pretty tough. Uh, but. I was I was listening to a podcast, Action Boys, which I reference on here a lot, and they were making fun of Ridley Scott a little bit. They're like, like you hear him talk about any of his movies, he'll do, doesn't matter how big of a shit pile it, it turned out to be, he'll just go, yeah, it was a great movie. It's a great movie, <laughs> perfect movie. We did a great job. <laughs> it's like Ridley Scott just uh, seems like I don't know. He's very like confident in, in himself. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he made two movies last year. Uh, it was just funny, like seeing him do like his old man yelling at the clouds thing when it, I mean, like the last duel didn't do very well. He's just like, yeah. all these fucking kids on their phones, it's their <laughs> fault. It's just like, what? <laughs> and didn't he did uh, um, all the money in the world, right? Yeah, I didn't was, see that. It, it was good, but like that just blew my mind when he's like, yeah, and we just reshot the entire movie. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, just... still got it out on time. I'm like, <laughs> Like if nothing else, that speaks to his ability to just do his job. Yeah, he's he's definitely <laughs> like incredible. He's he's kind of a, he reminds me of this is a weird comparison, but he reminds me a little bit of Clint Eastwood in a sense. Mm. Like Clint Eastwood's like very infamously, like yeah, we just get in, get out, and you know, we nine to five, get the shots, we're done for the day. Like he's so like he always comes in on time, under budget, but his movies are obviously very like. The difference being Ridley Scott's still like a good director and uh, he like, you know, he's doing cool things with his movies and they're, they're well directed. Whereas like Clint Eastwood movies are like just very like basic bare bones, minimum shots. Like everything's like a medium. It's just like, yep, there's the people they're doing a thing. And then this happens with like Ridley Scott's like the last duel, the last like 20 minutes of it is like some of the the tensest, tensest filmmaking I've ever seen almost. So It's funny how he's, he just, he's able to, Ridley Scott's able to just churn them out, but they're actually usually at least still pretty well directed. 
for the most part. Uh, <laughs> for the most part. And it, yeah, like he's, I always forget what all he's done though. Like, uh, I, I still haven't seen Thelma and Louise, but you know, the Martian you got Blade Runner, Alien, Gladiator, which is obviously a pretty easy one to compare to the movie we're covering today. I think there's a, there, I was definitely seeing some real one to one parallels between Gladiator and this movie for sure. Uh, Black Hawk Down, American Gangster. But then you got stuff like his Russell Crowe Robin Hood movie and uh, Matchstick Man. I don't know. I've never seen that. I do actually own The Counselor, but I've never watched it. I've heard it's quite bad. Yeah, I haven't uh, seen that one. Oh, I do want to see Black Rain. I've heard it's like not that good, but it's like just interesting. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, he, man, he's made a lot of movies, but he's obviously one of the most infamous directors of all time to a certain degree. And like he's the guy that made Blade Runner and Alien. It's like, you know, yeah, you, you could have just made yeah. those two movies and quit, and you would have still been sim- had your legacy cemented forever. Yeah. He's also got stuff like Gladiator and Thelma and Louise. Uh, and I, I, I think American Gangster is a movie not enough people talk about. I, I remember seeing that when it first came out. I would have been in like high school or whatever. And I was like blown away by that movie. I thought that movie was so fucking cool when I was younger. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but. Yeah, it's like, good. I mean, Denzel just doing his thing. He's so good. Denzel's so good. I was just, uh, every once in a while, I'll pull up like Training Day clips because Training Day is like one of my favorite movies of all time. And for some reason, I was like thinking about the scene. Have you seen Training Day? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about the scene where they chase Snoop Dogg down uh, because I I love that part where he he shoves the pen down his throat because he knows like Snoop Dogg swallowed those crack rocks. Oh, yeah. And Snoop Dogg like pukes him up. And he's just like, <laughs> he's like, I ain't got no crack on me, man. He's like, he makes him throw up and he's like, oh yeah, what's that? He's like, motherfucking crack, man. <laughs> like the way he says it, it makes me laugh so hard. And he's like, and then Denzel's one, Denzel's just like, Jimmy crack corn, one, two, three, four. Uh, like, <laughs> but yeah, just the way Snoop Dogg does the, he's like, oh yeah, what's that? He's like, motherfucking crack, man. <laughs> I love that scene so much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Denzel's one of those people I could just watch him all day long. He's so good. Mm-hmm. I don't know when I'm going to get around to the tragedy of Macbeth. Because uh, I think it's on like Apple or something, and I I don't do Apple. <laughs> okay. Uh, so And it like wasn't really in theaters at all around Yeah, I don't here. think it came around here, so. Mm-hmm. Get around it to it, I guess. looks beautiful from the commercials. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like it. I mean, Denzel and Francis McDormand doing this weird esoteric solo going movie i was about to say coen brothers movie it doesn't make any sense because it's just the one this time around which i find that whole thing kind of weird because they were saying like maybe i think it was like one of them wanted to like focus on theater a little bit Hmm. i was like so one of you wants to focus on theater so the other one took a shakespeare (laughs) play and turned it into a movie that's shot entirely on a soundstage weird <laughs> seems like you guys are both still kind of doing the same thing but for no some reason you've split up uh but yeah last year was the year of, of famous duos splitting up with the wachowskis and the cohen's oh yeah going solo for adventure uh time will tell how the i haven't seen the cohen one but the the wachowski one maybe maybe it would have been cool if they 
it stuck together for that one. <laughs> Think, thinking of what Chowski's in as a, a follow up to last time I was here, I watched, I started watching Speed Racer and I mm. got not very far into it. I'm like, this, this is just not for me. <laughs> I'm like, I cannot get into this. And the way that it was like cutting back and forth between, um, you know, like, 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 uh, uh, family time stuff and just like random races. I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> or, like, they expect, like, I feel like that the movie expects an audience not to have an attention span. <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen it, but it's very ADD, like, in-your-face anime style. And some people love it for that, and I, some people like you are like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that movie for me, like, I think aside from, you know, some of the actors, it's got a great cast, but, like, aside from that, Nothing in that movie was working for me. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> I, I wouldn't expect everybody to enjoy that one too much anyway, so... Well, good for the people that do. <laughs> you know, I'm glad they like it. I never did see The Martian. Have you seen The Martian? I have seen The Martian. Th that's like the one I, I kind of skipped. I'm it's, it's good. Okay. I'm just... I'm not that big of a Matt Damon fan. I, I, I think I just don't like him very much as an actor, and so I just wasn't compelled by the film and so i just never got around to seeing it but i remember when it came out people were gaga for it so i bet you it's probably pretty good uh it was i think it was probably maybe overrated at least at the time but yeah it's a good movie i feel like that was like the movie that like people were like ridley scott's back uh <laughs> but yeah i don't know and we obviously saw the last duel together last year um, and I, I definitely feel bad that that movie didn't do very well. Cause I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah. It's not like the most mind blowing thing I've ever seen, but it was, it was a pretty well made movie. It was interesting. And, uh, honestly, the only thing about it that was like a little odd was just like, it felt very like a lot of men trying to do a me too movement type movie. <laughs> right. But then you also like read into it and it's like the way they wrote the script was really interesting where. Uh, they had like three different people and each of them wrote the different segments of the movie and they did have a woman writing the the is it Jodie Comer or Julie Comer uh, the the main woman in the movie I can never remember her I name uh, but uh, you know I have letterboxed here for a reason uh, Jodie Comer I was right haha uh, who she's great in the movie I feel bad I need to memorize her name because she's so good uh, but so I'm kind of like I don't know I've, I, I mean the pacing for the movie you know, it's not great, but oh my God, it's like, it's totally worth watching that movie just for the last duel. Like just for that, that battle. It really, scene. it is so intense. Yeah. When you, when you get, really, like, when, yeah, when you get to the titular last duel, it is like, I was like gripping my seat, arm seat a little bit. I was like, this is so fucking tense. And it's like, I've never had a, I'm sure it's happened before, but it was a really rare experience to be sitting in a theater and just be watching this insane battle and you're just kind of horrified the whole time because you're like, I'm not going to spoil the movie, but essentially you're like forced to root for one of the characters, but you don't like the way the movie's been presented, at least the way I felt, you don't like either of the characters that are battling each other, but you kind of are like, I, but I need this guy to win or else stuff happens. Right. And so you're rooting for him and you feel I'm like, ah, this is hard because I don't like him, but I'm like, but you got to win though. Fuck. Like, and in <laughs> the battle, the way it's shot and edited is like, 
this is really vicious and, and brutal in a way I haven't seen a lot of things. Um, and it really pays off too, because there's not a lot of battling in the movie. So it's like this pressure that's built up through the entire movie suddenly being like released. Right. Uh, it's pretty crazy. It's definitely worth checking out if people skipped it uh, because the millennials were too busy on their fucking phones or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I skipped House of Gucci though. I heard it was kind of stupid. So I just was uh, like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll check it out. I haven't, I haven't gotten around to it yet. It's on my list. Adam Driver's had, I, I like Adam Driver a lot, but he's had a couple swings and misses for me last year. Like, I watched Annette, uh, and I was, man, I was miserable while I was watching that. I didn't, I did not like that movie. Yeah, I just kind of decided it's probably not for me. I'm not going to check it out. Uh, but like my, my friend Kurt loves it. And the thing is like, it does have a certain audacity to it. That's pretty remarkable, but yeah, it's, it's a musical where I didn't like any of the songs and that's a problem. Right. So <laughs> is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we jump into this epic like i guess we could talk we've obviously covered scott just now but i didn't know if there's like you know this is a, the kind of movie it's like this isn't quite medieval fantasy it's more a, a sort of trading in, in the sword and sandals genre a little bit more uh historical epic i don't know what you classify this as but is this kind of genre your jam or is this more just like you always check out ridley scott movies so you saw this or or how did you come to Kingdom of Heaven? Um, yeah, I'm kind of genre wise. I'm a fan of of you know men swinging swords at each other. Sure, like that's just fun to watch for yeah. me. Um, that was why, I, like, so, when, when I went to put the movie on, I was like, oh man, I haven't watched one of these movies in a while where it's just guys with swords yeah. fucking battling and shit. <laughs> right, and most of them are not done very well. So yeah, when you get especially one that's now, even, like, especially halfway nowadays. done. Yeah, it, like like done halfway well. It's it's so great, you know. Mm-hmm. there's really there's not a lot whether it's whether it's this like historical you know sort of epic or whether it's like the fantasy lord of the rings type stuff like, yeah there's just a handful of movies of either of those genres that are just really well made and i think this is one of them yeah and i mean for me gladiator is another one like i think gladiator is pretty immaculate honestly i don't know if you're a big fan of gladiator or not but I really do like that movie a lot. Like every time I, I'm like, yeah, Gladiator was pretty good. And then every time I actually start watching it, I'm just like, fuck, this movie's yeah. so good. Like Joaquin Phoenix's villain in it is so good. And Maximus is just, uh, Russell Crowe, I mean, he just eats that role alive. And the battles are, and especially in the stadium, are so brutal and good. Uh, I mean, do you have any feelings one way or the other um, on Gladiator? I, I like Gladiator. I'm, I don't think I'm as hot on it as a lot of people are. Um, I think for me, it's just, I, I, my sense of it is like, like I kind of want there to be more going on this, the, the narrative of it's, you know, pretty simple and straightforward. Um, but, but I mean, yeah, the action, uh, sequences are gripping and just incredibly fun to watch. And it's a very, it's a very satisfying movie. Okay. Um, but, like I remember seeing this, and you know, it wasn't what it was. It five or six years after Gladiator. Uh, yeah, Gladiator was two thousand, I believe, and this is two thousand five. Right. So this was kind of like you know Ridley Scott sort of doing the same genre again, and and for me, like I 
thought this movie was more enjoyable. There's a lot more to sort of dig into, mm-hmm. a lot more going on in the plot. And yeah. sort of thematically, there's a lot, just a lot more to, to sort of explore in this movie. Um, and, and so, so for me, like that's, that's why I like this one more. Um, are you, are you, are you a Lord of the Rings guy? Do you like the Lord of the Rings? Yeah. I love, uh, uh, Lord of the Rings. The okay. Peter Jackson. Cause this is obviously like, this is that era. Like Lord of the Rings is like early two thousands. And I mean, you've obviously got the Orlando Bloom connection for some reason. He was like the guy for a while for these kinds of movies. Like he's Legolas and he's in kingdom of heaven and he's like in Troy and stuff. Like I don't right. I've never, he doesn't really strike me as someone that's like got an old timey face, but for some reason they, they cast him a lot in these historical movies. And I, I, not that I'm saying he's bad in them, but, uh, it's, it's interesting. Cause like a lot of times people get cast in like historical stuff because they just kind of have that look where mm-hmm. they look like they could belong back <laughs> right. there. He hasn't really like when, he, like when he first shows up in this movie, you're just like, ah, oh, yes, this incredibly handsome man. Okay. <laughs> uh, not saying like other people in the movie look like shit or anything, but he like sticks out as like a pretty boy in the movie to a yeah, certain extent. Probably prettier than the average blacksmith. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they like try to put some soot on his face, but <laughs> I noticed, uh, I, I don't necessarily agree with the sentiment, but I noticed that a lot of reviews seem to single him out as like the weakest part of the movie. Mm. Um, I didn't, I thought he did a good job. I mean, he wasn't like, Yes, they probably could have gotten someone better, like for the role that would have brought more like gravitas to it. Uh, but I thought he was pretty good. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not usually too critical on acting. Like as long as it's passable, I'm good. But uh, yeah, I agree. Like, like I'm not gripped by his performance. Like, yeah, like there could have been nothing in it that really floored me. There's definitely like I could think there's other actors who would just be more haunting and interesting in the role. Sure. Uh, again, not that he's a bad actor or anything. Right. It's just like he works great as Legolas, as this like stoic kind of smirky guy. But when you have, there's just a, it's just so funny. I think the reason people pick on him a little bit in this movie is because he's so surrounded by some of the greatest thespians of our time <laughs> that it, he sticks out a little bit because it's like you've got uh, you know Edward Norton or whatever <laughs> like giving an insane performance behind a mask and uh, Jeremy Irons, just all these people. And then you've got Orlando Bloom who the entire movie hangs off of. And it's like, eh, he's doing an okay job. Like, I don't know who else I would have cast. Like, but even like, honestly, Russell Crowe or Joaquin Phoenix from Gladiator probably would have been more interesting choices. Mm. Uh, but it kind of works. Cause he's like, there is like a charisma to him just like, because he, looks the way he does it's kind of like oh well you know there he is he's recognizable or whatever (laughs) but uh yeah so uh sword and sandal stuff i don't know i'm not that well versed on the sword and sandal genre though like i mean i watched like i'm like aware of spartacus and and all that stuff and uh i'll tell you one thing i I know jack shit about the crusades and uh one one thing with this movie that was kind of interesting was the movie isn't that interested in explaining the crusades to you. <laughs> uh, there's like, I kept waiting for a scene. Like I was thinking about this last night. Uh, I always hate saying things on the podcast that I plan to say <laughs> most of the stuff's like off the cuff, but something I was thinking about last night is I was like, 
I really could have used a scene for someone dumb like me where Jeremy Irons just like goes, okay, so here's the deal. Uh, these guys really want to take Jerusalem because we took Jerusalem a while back and we've been battling over it. And this is kind of what's happening here. Like we're, we're pretty open to all religions, but we're technically Christian. So that's why, and like, you can kind of puzzle all that out as the movie goes on. Right. And the movie wants to live in this weird gray area. So that's why I understand that it doesn't lay these distinct boundaries or anything, but there's definitely moments where battles are happening and people are dying. And I'm like, why is this happening right now? I don't a hundred percent understand what's happening. <laughs> uh, like I kept just being like, why does it matter so much that they take Jerusalem at the end, you know? And then like, we'll get to it when we get there. But I just, uh, I didn't know, like, I didn't know if watching this movie, if it would help to be more well-versed in, in that period of history. I just, it's not something I've ever studied myself. And I don't know if that's something that you're super hip to, or if it's just, you like this movie in general. And so, uh, I, I mean, do you, have you studied the crusades at all or? Um, no, not really, but it, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think, you know, having a basic sense of Christianity and Islam are both religions that sort of spread in a, at least violent manner. Some of the time, Yeah, you know, where, where people were being converted at the, you know, at the point of a sword. Yeah. Um, and and their religions that, you know, are not tolerant historically speaking, often <laughs> of other uh, other people's ideas on faith or or anything else. So, I mean, uh, to me, like that's really the 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 only thing that I think you 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 have to have an understanding of is just you know the Christians went into Europe, sort of converting all the pagans, and you know wiping out the ones that they didn't convert. Or, you know, if they were nice about it, you know, just kind of marginalizing them and being like, stay out of our town. Yeah. And, you know, the Muslims sort of did the same thing in the Middle East and then into India and Africa. Right. And this is uh, Jerusalem, which is, I guess now that I'm saying it out loud, Jerusalem is what? It's in Israel? Right, so okay. it's like the holy city in Judaism and Christianity and Islam. So they all have this, like, you know, holy. This is our holy land. Right, and yeah. So, so I think that you know the basic idea is, you know, God would have planned this out a little bit better if He would have given them three different holy lands. <laughs> but I guess that's what makes it so uh, so much conflict with each other is they both like the whole reason that these religions spread violently is they were all based on the idea that they were the one true one. So the irony being they battle over the same city because they're like, no, that's 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 our city. And it's like, well, no, that's our city. And it's like, well, your religion doesn't make sense, even though, like, to a certain extent, other than some differences, like, we all kind of worship the same guy, essentially. It, it, it's weird. Like, I'm just not that well-versed in religion uh, in general anymore. I've kind of fully fallen off the wagon as far as, any of that stuff goes and I really should study up on it a little bit more, but I don't know. It's funny. Cause like in society today, it's becoming more and more like doesn't matter nearly as much, uh, at least here, Oops. <laughs> at least here. But yeah, I guess there's probably other countries where they're still probably fighting stuff based on religion and things like that. So I, I don't know. I'm just not hip to any of it anymore. Well, and right. And this dispute too, like over the Holy land, isn't that different from, 
you know, historical disputes about this land used to be in our country. And no, it used to be in our country. I mean, that's kind of what we're seeing in uh, uh, Ukraine right now. Right. Because uh, Putin's like, Ukraine used to be part of this, the, the, the Russian empire. Yeah. The, Ukraines are, the Ukrainians are like, yeah, but we're our own country now. Yeah. <laughs> I picked a really weird run of movies to do recently. Like I did Apocalypse Now for the show pretty recently. I'm like, really doing a lot of weird war movies around the time of us being on the cusp of World War Three here. I've kind of just danced around it this whole time. <laughs> I also did Solaris for the show, and I was like, Ah, yes, the Soviet Union era uh, film that I'm covering right now, this Tarkovsky film, but that felt okay, because I think Tarkovsky was a little bit anti all that stuff anyway, so it it, it worked out, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I've 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 kind of had my head buried in the stand a little bit as far as that whole conflict goes as well, because it's like, right. every time you Google something, it's like, oh, here's some more innocent civilians that died today, and it's like... Yeah, you know what? I'm all right. I, and there's <laughs> nothing that you or I can do about it sitting in Indiana. Yeah. Kind of like, yeah, it's our, out of our hands. Hopefully the uh, the people that that can do something about it are, are, are doing their best. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's depressing, <laughs> but um, I'm trying to think if there's anything I want to cover before we just, we probably should just dive right into the movie. So. Uh <laughs> Got got a lot to cover here. I was pretty general with my notes because, uh, so I want to say as we're bouncing through the plot and stuff, feel free to stop me at any moment if there's like particular moments or, or like key lines that I'm just jumping over that you think are really important. Because I've kind of just my notes here are like broad generalizations of like things that happen. So like like there's a part where like when Sibylla shows up at his compound. I just, my note is she shows up like, and it, that is meant to cover the entire section where she's there and they're hanging out and they hook up for the first time and they're having conversations and she's getting her hand painted and they're eating. And like, that's all, that's like a note, <laughs> my one note. So, uh, yeah, obviously interject as much as you want. So I don't fucking dominate the mic the whole time. I'm so bad about that, which is like, shouldn't be on my guests to, stop me from talking i should be a better host that engages my guests but you know i've only been doing this for like almost two years now <laughs> someday i'll get it but something i didn't realize actually because i'm bad with like the geography of like europe mm -hmm. and the middle east and all that stuff but there's all this talk of like france uh throughout the film mm -hmm. like sibylla keeps talking about france and her son talks about france i forgot that like we open up in france Right. For some reason, I didn't put together the irony of of Bailey and being from France, and these other characters are talking so glowingly about France. I, I don't know why that didn't click for me until like the very end of the right. movie. Well, I mean, that goes. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's weird when you have you know certain people like the the uh, Guy and and uh, Renault are doing this like French accent. Then you have these other people that are supposedly from France. Like, <laughs> Bloom's character who's just not or Liam Neeson or, or, just... I, and like Liam Neeson I'm like I assume he's French but like <laughs> I don't know maybe he was from England and he was like going you know heading on his way back home and didn't yeah. quite make it there when he knocked up Orlando Bloom's mom or you know like, like I don't know what's going on here but the accents are not helping <laughs> that was another thing in the last duel too because that's all supposed to be French Right. But the, none of them were doing French accents. <laughs> like Ridley Scott was like, ah, who gives a fuck? It's 
Uh, yeah, and, and for me, it's it's probably fine because I don't like uh, like uh, like uh, there is no accent in the world where you can sort of sound more like pompous and douchey than than French. <laughs> and I'm sorry for any francophiles out there. Like we're just not going to get along. <laughs> You're not going to get along with someone from France. <laughs> uh, I'm not getting along with people who love for the the French culture because I, I don't. Like, yeah, I, I guess don't, I don't like their I don't like their weird cheese. I don't like their <laughs> accent and their language. You are you are like, pretty infamous for your, your really, hatred of the French. Not really <laughs> big on their movies. Like there's a couple gems here and there. City oh, of Lost Children. Come on, but, French uh, cinema. Not a fan of French. You do not like French cinema. <laughs> you have no taste. Uh, fuck you. We. Oui. Uh, <laughs> well, I had Christina on. We were just like, oh, 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 we we. <laughs> Actually, I guess I guess in some weird like screwed up way this movie probably worked really well for me because like the, the two guys that are doing like the french accent are like you know those are like definitely the bad guys in the movie <laughs> so i'm like yeah let's 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 uh take down those uh, french assholes uh, I'm, i am key i am evil i'm brendan gleason i'm also evil uh let's see here so we open up in France, 1184. Uh, again, just a time period I'm like not that familiar with, but this is the Crusades. This is when uh, Christianity was being spread quite violently, essentially. Uh, but we open up in... Uh, oh, that's right. I wanted to clarify. We watched the director's cut. Or at least I watched the director's cut for this. Uh, Andrew was very explicit that the director's cut is the vastly superior version and from everything I've read, that seems to be the case. Uh, they, at the time when Scott was putting this movie out, they they butchered it to hell. They made him cut forty five minutes out of the movie. Significant plot points were lost. I don't know what that process is like because there's all this stuff where it's like, like for example, the way he the way they cut the theatrical cut together, you don't realize that uh, the priest guy is Orlando Bloom's brother. Like they like cut that out of the movie somehow, you know what I'm talking about mm. uh, Michael Sheen, like, like in the in the director's cut, he's he's Balian's brother, but somehow in the theatrical cut, that's like lost, and it's like it's like kind of a weird mystery why Orlando Bloom kills him in the theatrical cut. So there's apparently like a lot of weird details that you lose in the theatrical cut. So it's not unwatchable, but. Like it's this is a hundred percent a better experience watching the director's cut. So So that is what we watch. So if I'm covering plot details that you guys are like, what? That's that's why we watch the director's cut. And if you are interested in this movie, that's probably the version you should watch too. Uh but it's like literally every review for this is like, Oh god, I finally saw the director's cut. This is a good movie, actually. Like that's like almost every other review. Uh so I guess the theatrical cut must be pretty rough, which is suck. Which sucks because that's what's on Hulu right now, and you can't like I couldn't find the director's cut really anywhere streaming that easily. Um, I was just able to get it through the library, uh, thankfully. But so, it, but if you can get your hands on the director's cut, that's the version you should watch. Absolutely. Um. So there's these there's this priest out there played by uh, uh, Martin Sheen, Michael Sheen. Why do I, why can I never get that right? Fuck, Michael Sheen. Not Martin Sheen, Michael Sheen. Uh, Michael Sheen is out there. He's like a priest, I guess. Um, 
And he's with these two prisoners who are who are grave diggers. Uh, I think that's like their punishment or whatever. And they're burying this woman who we'll come to find out is Balian's wife. Uh, Balian, played by Orlando Bloom, is our lead character of the movie. Uh, and it's like right here, like they dropped it. Like they're like, oh, your brother's wife, don't you blah, blah, blah. And just like for the brief moment that Michael Sheen is in this movie, he's just like doing everything he can to show you he's the scummiest, assholiest piece of shit to like ever walk the face of the earth. He has them chop off his wife's head because she committed suicide and they bury her. Some Liam Neeson passes by on some like horses and they like flip him a coin like to pay the diggers or whatever. And Sheen's just kind of like, <laughs> money. And then like later he meets with like the bishop of the town and the guy's like, we really need Bailey and back. Like this is a first of many moments where people are just going to suck Bailey and off through the entire movie. Cause you're just going to keep hearing about how Bailey the greatest and he's the best. And even though he's like stricken with grief because his wife committed suicide recently, they just, they really need him back to do the project or whatever that they're talking about. Gives Sheen some money for Bailey and Sheen fucking pockets that money. And every scene that Sheen's in, he's like scurrying away. He's always running. <laughs> he like runs out of every scene. He's just like, do, 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 do. he's like this slimy rat man who. That's a good point. Like, I didn't quite <laughs> notice it, but as soon as he said, like, oh, yeah, he totally did do that. It's like, really weird. Like, he just like. It has to be an intentional thing. <laughs> uh, he's always just, when he, the way he exits every scene is by running. It's really strange. Uh, but they, they, Bailey and this, like, like, I, they make some kind of offhand comment that he's like possessed by the devil or something, but he's just sad that his wife is gone and they, they seem to have been like holding him in prison or something. I, I don't know for his own good or if he did something, but they let, let him back out and, and uh, they're like, you got work to do. And he goes back to the blacksmith thing. So we meet Orlando Bloom Bailey and he's this incredibly handsome, <laughs> ridiculously good looking, like a uh, slightly effeminate, uh, like there's a reason why he is so good at playing elves uh, in movies like Legolas and stuff. But although ironically, uh, the guy that played Guy played an elf in the Lord of the Rings movie too. Like when I looked up the picture of him earlier, I was like, Oh, he has long blonde hair in this weird. Uh, but so he, he gets back to work, but he's got a new, he gets a job pretty quickly because Liam Neeson has ridden into town and they're on their way, I think, to Jerusalem to to go fight with the king. Liam Neeson, his name in the movie is Godfrey. Uh, they serve the king, who's the king of like the Crusades. The king currently, uh, King Baldwin currently controls Jerusalem, which we'll find some of this stuff out later. But I'm just laying the groundwork now. But well, Liam Neeson come back into or come back to France looking for his son. Essentially, yeah. So he shows up at this town and he's asking about the blacksmith and Bailey or whatever. And he finds out that Bailey is the new blacksmith. And so it, it's, it was funny how quickly I put the pieces together before they even are explicit about it. It basically was like, he's asking about the thing. And then there's like this really quick exchange with, uh, Jamie Lannister and his dad. They're like, Oh, he took the cloth. So he's not going to have any heirs. So it's when he dies, it's going to be mine. And then it's going to be yours. And Jamie Lannister's like, hell yeah, we're, we're evil kind of, but, Liam Neeson's basically, and Liam Neeson's hanging out with David Thewlis, uh, who I don't think they ever say his character's name in the entire movie, but his name is Hospitalar. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking, I don't think they said it either. Yeah. Like when I looked, I was like, is his name really, it's like literally Hospitaler. 
So, I, but I'm just going to call him David Thewlis. Uh, <laughs> David Thewlis, great actor, incredibly underrated. Most people know him as, as Remus from the Harry Potter movies, but he's in so many things. I wanted to ask you if you'd ever heard of the movie Naked, because I feel like that's a movie you might get a kick out of. Uh, uh, I don't think so. He's the lead in it, and the whole movie is just him just ranting to different people throughout the movie. He's this absolute scumbag, but he's just so such a motor mouth charmer kind of guy. And David Thewlis just fully in his element. And he's great in this movie too. Cause he's this sort of like, he's just this character that kind of bounces in and out of the story to like pop in and be like, Hey, Balian, here's, here's some knowledge. All right. See you later. And he's very like smirky and uh, very like dry, wry sense of humor. I really like him. And like, anytime it's like, he's got this look on his face whenever things are happening where he just, clearly fully understands everything that's happening and is completely above it all. Like he's <laughs> right. like looking at this exchange at the table. He's like looking at these conniving guys looking at Liam Neeson. He's just kind of like, yep, these guys suck, but whatever. And he just like smirks and like walks out <laughs> after Liam Neeson. But I, I pretty quickly put together that Neeson was like that bloom was Neeson's kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turns out that it's, just, it's this weird exchange. It's one of those things like medieval times and all that. But Neeson's basically like, so I slept with her, with your mom. I, and, and the thing about that is like, I could have slept with her no matter what, uh, because I'm like important, but don't worry. I, it was, it was consensual, even though she technically cheated on your dad. Well, it's kind of funny cause he doesn't come out and say it, but like, you know, the implications of the scene is him being like, yeah. you're my son. And, and yeah, it's pretty straightforward. <laughs> yeah. And Balian's kind of like. Cool. Fuck you. Nathan's uh, <laughs> is like, okay, uh, we're going to Jerusalem. If you change your mind, and right. Balian's kind of like, he gives them the worst direction <laughs> I have ever heard in my life. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, Jerusalem. Go. Jerusalem's easy to find. Go to where they talk Italian, then keep going until they talk something different. You can't miss it. <laughs> Which is pretty great because, like, he then repeats that information. To like the king later, uh, <laughs> he's just like, so yes, go to where they speak Italian, and then keep going till they speak something else. It's like, uh, would have been an entirely different movie if if Orlando <laughs> Bloom didn't have a good sense of direction <laughs> or get lucky as hell. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, Neeson's basically like, I guess we're going this way if you want to catch up. And Orlando Bloom's kind of like, eh, I'm all right. But then later that night, his brother visits him, Martin uh, Michael Sheen, and. Michael Sheen's just hamming it up, doing evil shit. He's like, nobody in this town wants you. You fucking suck. You're going to get thrown out as soon as the bishop dies. And it seems like Sheen is angling. He wants, like, Balian's place, his land and stuff. And Sheen just wants him to get the fuck out of there so that he can, like, take it over. I think that's, like, his angle. That's kind of what I got. Yeah, I don't know. Like, they didn't lay all that out super clearly. Yeah, but but he also says something, like, he basically is like, and I cut your wife's head off, and she's going to be in hell without a head. Fuck you. And I have her, I have her, also her necklace, and Balian's basically like, uh, fuck you, and stabs him to death and lights him on fire. Uh, Yeah, and then you're like, eh. Not entirely uncalled for. Yeah. Uh, but it's pretty just. I mean, murdering a guy is like, you know, that's a bold act, but again, not entirely uncalled for. Yeah, something that I thought was going to factor more into the movie. They make a real big deal of him grabbing the cross from the fire and it like burning his hand. I thought that was going to be like a. I think maybe, there, you know, it's sort of 
at a thematic level or metaphorical yeah. level, there's there's you know something going on there. But yeah, as far as like the actual the actual necklace itself, not not. Yeah, I thought it was gonna like burn across like Mark on his hand, and I thought maybe that he would like show his hand to people later, and it'd be like there's a cross on your hand because there's obviously a lot of religious elements to the film. Mm-hmm. Although what's weird about this movie is it really trend trades in like the religious back and forth but the viewpoint of the movie seems to be almost atheistic in a weird way because like the ultimate message of the movie seems to just be like try to be a good person because you want to be a good person and that's kind of just it like don't be a good person because you think that's what god wants you to do or whatever Uh, and i don't know what ridley scott's personal beliefs are uh like i don't feel like this movie is necessarily thumbing its nose at christianity or, or or islam but i'm also like it definitely there's moments where you're just looking at all these dead bodies and it feels like ridley scott's like see what where this gets you do you see what happens are you happy with, like that you're going to war for these fucking reasons like i don't know it's kind of hard to tell but uh bailey is like well i just killed my brother so maybe i should go <laughs> hang out with liam neeson now <laughs> so he catches up uh and they have like a fun exchange where like they meet on the road. Uh, I guess I should say like, I like the way the movie shot. I think it looks really good. It's a, maybe just a teeny bit too desaturated for my taste. It's like very early two thousands. Like this is what period pieces look like. We just <laughs> turn the saturation down to Zack Snyder levels. Uh, like, but so I'm like, it's just a little, especially like the really gray parts of like France and shit. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, like when they're in the desert, the desert really pops and stuff like that. And the, like the, especially like Saladin's uh, army, their colors pop and the blues of the crusaders pop. But there's just like, especially early on in France, like at the forges, that everything's so gray. And when they're in the forest and they're fighting, everything's so gray. But I do, it's very misty road. Neeson comes out, he's like, he's like have you come to kill me? <laughs> and Bailey, it's like, uh, I am a murderer. <laughs> and Neeson's like, cool, me too. Let's let's go. <laughs> so Let me say something like, yeah, well, yeah, you know, that happens. Yeah. <laughs> kind of his attitude. Like, yeah, he's just he's like, like, yeah, we've all killed people. It, you know. Uh so it's kind of funny. That's one of my first like what the fuck moments of the movie happens pretty quickly here to where uh so he's hanging out with them, they're teaching him how to fight. He teaches he teaches him this insane sword fighting style that seems incredibly impractical to me. Where he's like, don't use a low guard, use a high guard or whatever. I'm like, yeah, hold your sword way above your head. That's a great defensive maneuver. I don't know jack shit about sword fighting. Maybe this is real. Like he names it. He says it's like some Italian defense thing. And it seems like all his guys fight the same way. But I'm like, holding your sword above your head just seems like a really good way to get your ankles cut off to me. But I, I think don't it just know. seems like a really good way to exhaust yourself. <laughs> also that, like, it's, I'm like, wouldn't you rather just have it? in front of your chest, I guess, but maybe you're getting more power. I don't know. They make it look okay. He fights Neeson. We're, we're, it's weird because we're like meeting Neeson's crew a little bit. Get like a funny gag where someone's like pissing in the river and the guy's like trying to fill up his canteen or whatever. He's like, hey, what the fuck? And the guy's going kind of like, eh. there's like a Viking dude. There's like this like, uh, I mean, not to stereotype him, but like maybe like a guy from Africa or something like that. Like this kind of cool eclectic band like David Thewlis is there too. I was like, cool, these guys seem fun. We're going to like have a little adventure with them. Right. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, we are not. Like, uh, <clears throat> Jamie Lannister shows up immediately, like while they're training, 
Uh, and he's like, we need to arrest Bailey. And he, he stone cold killed his brother. Uh, and Liam Neeson's is just basically like, nope, fuck you. And like the Viking guy is kind of like, I'll fight you if you want. And I was like, oh, go, go Viking guy or whatever. But then, uh, Jamie Lannister's like, oh, okay. And he rides off. And then, then just this insane battle just ensues. And like Liam, Liam Neeson's almost in his entire crew gets fucking murdered. Uh, Liam Neeson gets gravely injured too. Like the only two people that like kind of make it out without a scratch are Thulis and uh, Bailey. And basically, right. uh, and, and Neeson is like literally uh, injured to the point where he dies from this wound that he sustains from this battle. And the, the Viking guy and all this other guys, they just get murdered. And I was like clutching my head. Like what? Like, I was like, I know this is like an epic and it's like going to go through these different sagas or whatever, but it is, it really felt like we were meeting our, our like fellowship of the ring and then he just <laughs> murdered all of them immediately. Oh, yeah. And they prefaced this by like one of the guys is like, oh, Balian's hand's still screwed up. Maybe you should wait till it heals when he trained. And Liam Neeson's like, I've used, I once fought for two days with an arrow through my testicle. Yeah. I was like, like, I guess this guy's hardcore. Yeah. I was like, I was like, no wonder he took the cloth. I don't think you're going to be having children after, after that one. <laughs> Glad that happened af- before <laughs> happened after he, uh, Got with Orlando Bloom's mom, I suppose. <laughs> but yeah, they they killed Jamie Lannister. It was like a fun moment where some guys like, "I am some important guy from a family, so you have to ransom me." And Liam Neeson is kind of like, "Yeah, yeah, I guess so." And then they just pff, <laughs> murder him. <laughs> and like, this is kind of Bailey and seeing like, "Whoa, these people are hardcore." And at first, I was like, "Man, Liam Neeson fully got all of his guys killed just to save Bailey." And but then like. That like they hadn't out outwardly said that Balian was his son yet, and mm. even though I had like put the pieces together, but when you find out that he's his son and he, he's like his his heir and stuff, it kind of adds up a little bit more. You're like, yeah, of course he would defend. He needs like his son to inherit his land and stuff like that. It's actually right. very important to him. So well, I think too, it's it's hard for us like in, in America, like our culture is so individualistic, and even though. A lot of times, like, you know, in politics or whatever, you'll hear people talk about family values. I mean, maybe not as much anymore, but, like, that was the, you know, huge, like, Republican thing throughout, like, the 90s and, and early 2000s. Like, family values, family values. And it's like, as much as we talk about that stuff as a culture, it's like, we don't have family values the way that almost every other culture in the world does. Yeah. They, they really live, like, family, like, like, you know, it's real, like, blood is really important. That's and, true. I, you know, it's, I'm glad you brought something like that up because I, I, I was having those same feelings with uh, a lot of Americans' reactions to that Encanto movie, which we saw together. Mm. People were just like, fuck Abuela and fuck this toxic family and blah, blah, blah. And like, that's just, that's like your individualistic American ideals, like frothing up. Like, you don't understand like how important the familial unit is to certain cultures and things like that. Right. Yeah. And especially like back here in like the, medieval times when like blood lineage was so fucking important and to the point where it's like well we've got like seven people that are very competent that could take the throne but this seven-year-old kid is technically the closest related to me so he's gonna be the king (laughs) and you're just like what (laughs) what is this ruling system Uh, (laughs) but and we'll get into that too but so neeson is pretty gravely injured thulis is basically like well, uh, if you shouldn't have broke the arrow off and uh, you're either going to die or you won't. I guess we'll see what happens. And Very matter, matter <laughs> of fact about it. <laughs> yeah. He's like, 
well, your marrow is either going to leak into your bloodstream and you'll die, or you'll get a cyst and you won't. It is in God's hands now. <laughs> and they just kind of like smirk at each other. Uh, again, like this is, he's pretty, pretty cheeky bastard. Uh, yeah, his delivery is so great. Like it's just, <laughs> you know, it, it adds so much to the scene. You like, he could have played that at a, you know, in a totally different way or you have a, a different actor in there and like, yeah, he just wouldn't. Yeah. Know, and Neeson's really good in this movie. He's just, he's, he's like the proper, he has the proper amount of gravitas, but he's just, he's also really charming and you know, you have to convey a lot where. Because there's a lot of doors that get opened for Bailey and because of his dad, right. who he didn't even know until recently. But you buy that Godfrey was this guy who was important in a lot of people's lives, so it actually makes sense, even though we don't spend a ton of time with him. And, like, I really like, uh, uh, you know, I, I want to just point out like how great Neeson's performance is in this movie because so much of it hinges on like him as a character and... You know, he's only in it for like what a quarter of the movie yeah. or something, but he has to like just come and bring this, you know, really gigantic but grounded performance to make you sort of buy into the drama of everything else that's going on. And, yeah. And, and like he's, it's and, so memorable too, even though he's not on screen. And he also, he also spends like half of his screen time gravely injured and he's acting through that and, and it is like, doing a good job being injured and raspy, but still like giving this great performance. Yeah. He's really good in this movie. It's, it's like a good reminder that even though he does a lot of these like old man with a gun, shitty action movies these days, he's like still a great performer. Uh, like to this day, he's still great, but like, especially like around this era, you know, his, uh, his star Wars heyday, <laughs> but yeah, Liam Neeson's great in this movie for sure, but he is dying, unfortunately. Uh, I believe around this time, he finally fully calls Bailey and his son at one point. Uh, we meet who I call not Russell Crowe, who's uh, Martin Koskis, I think is his, his real name. He, but I will refer to him as Guy. Guy, uh, Guy like, de Lucien. <laughs> he's, Guy is going to essentially be sort of our main villain of the movie for the most part. And he, of course, right off the bat is just, as, you just immediately are like, okay, this guy sucks. Uh, and he hates Bailey and immediately seems to not like Godfrey very much either. Uh, they have some kind of clash. I can't even specifically remember They're They're at this encampment. Cause like they're on, on this crossroads. And at one point Bailey, it's like, where are you headed to? And the guy's like Jerusalem. And like, uh, Godfrey's like laying in this tent and like Guy marches up to like come see him and he's just kind of like smirking and shitty to him. I don't really fully remember what their exchange is. Again, this is a very long movie. I don't remember every <laughs> every line that they exchange, but it's just basically like Guy marching into the movie like, I'm the villain. Okay, see you later because you definitely will see me later. And Balian's kind of like, oh, that guy sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I literally just have his name written as Guy LaDouche. Uh, <laughs> uh, but they they don't even it's again i'm having i have trouble with the geography of the movie because they they end up somewhere but it's not neeson's home place because we get to that later in the movie and they're not in jerusalem yet either they're presumably they're, somewhere in the mediterranean yeah they're just italy greece yeah they've stopped they've somewhere. stopped somewhere because neeson is just fully dying at this point uh, so they bring Bailey in and Neeson knights him 
Uh, it's like pretty uh, iconic and like everything he says, Balian ends up repeating later in the movie when he knights everybody. He's just like, trust in your heart and listen to whatever and blah, blah, blah. And then he like slaps him across the face. He's like, and that's so you remember it. And like gives him the sword, gives him like a big speech about being a son and like carrying on his. Well, there's a, there's a real important sort of thing around like the oaths that, that Liam Neeson is telling him to take as far as like, you know, it's, it's very sort of, uh, uh, you know, a grounded sort of morality of like, you know, protect the innocent and the, and the people that can't defend themselves. And it's not this, you know, it's not the sort of the, the high minded sort of, or, or, you know, morale, like real strict morality of like you know, Christianity of, of, you know, the 10 commandments or something like that. But, and it's also not this sort of, you know, go and fight for the glory of your house or whatever. Like it's it's a very grounded. There's a very, like the, one of the main like themes throughout the movie and, you know, and, and Bailey and talks about it with, with the King at one point where he's like, don't just go do what your King says you did. You should do. You need, you can only fight for yourself and everything you do needs to come from within He's like, he basically, like the king has a line where he's like, no one ever goes to hell because of a king telling them to do something. They made that choice themselves. They chose to listen or, and things like that, mm-hmm. which is like an interesting philosophy. And Neeson is very much like, yes, protect the innocent, be good, listen to your, like he says, like, always be honest, even if it costs you your life and stuff right, like that. Yeah. And there's also like something I was trying to mull over in the movie was I've, I've talked a lot to people about the idea of, of uh, dynamic versus static characters because it's very 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 rare to have a protagonist of a film that is a static character they usually have some kind of arc a static character being mm. kind of what it sounds like where a character who doesn't change throughout the movie um and dynamic being someone who goes right. through changes goes on a journey and i was kind of mulling it over and i was like i don't know how i feel about balian i, I guess i don't know I feel like you could almost make an argument that to a certain extent, at least morale wise, uh, moral wise, I guess in terms of his morality, he doesn't really change a lot because when the movie starts, like Sheen like yells at him, he's like, you act like you're so high and mighty and without sin. And you always turn the other cheek. Cause he like slaps him and shit. He's like, you never fight back and like hits him. It's like, come on, cheer up. And he's like, he just, He's like, you know, thinking you don't have any sins, that's one of the biggest sins of all, and blah, blah, blah. And there's a lot of stuff in this movie about Bailey and basically, like, choosing his morals over everything to the point where, like, you could argue he kind of, like, could have avoided a lot of this bloodshed if he had just been like, yeah, you know what, I will take the throne and marry your sister, King, and go ahead and murder Guy. But because he's got this, like, morale, uh, I keep saying morale, it's not what I mean, but... Uh, because he's got these morals, he refuses to go with that plan. And they're basically, basically like, you could argue it's kind of his fault <laughs> that everything that happens after that, because he's just choosing to be a good person using quotations here. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you have any thoughts one way or the other, as far as like whether he goes through like a lot of character change throughout the film, or if he is like an actual rare example of a static character to you or not. Cause he does, you know, he gets knighted and rises to a higher station and stuff like that. But as a person, he doesn't really change that much. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess but, his, his journey is to like initially to go ask forgiveness from God for him and his wife. Um, and it's kind of like 
him wrestling with his beliefs and religious beliefs and stuff like that. And he definitely ends the movie probably in a, a different place as far as that goes. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. And then there's obviously his relationship with, with Sibylla as well, which is pretty huge. But I don't know. It, it's just, it's interesting. His, his character journey is, is a little different than I think your typical character journey. Well, I think, yeah, I think there's a lot there. I think there's actually a lot going on, but it's more subtle. So I think like one of the things is, you know, he starts off the movie of I'm, you know, and he says at some point in time, like, like later on in the movie, like I thought I would be buried a hundred yards from where I was born yeah, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. So he had this very small idea of like who he is and where his yeah, that lie is, is so crazy in the world. Buried a hundred yards from where I was born. You know, I was like, whoa. So he, <laughs> So he had, he didn't have any, you know, like you had the sense, especially maybe after, like, we don't know who he was before his, you know, his wife and child died. Sure. But you have the sense, especially like when we meet him, that he kind of just wants to, you know, be left alone and do his thing. He doesn't really want to be involved in like bigger things that are going on in the world. And then he ends up, you know, defending, you know, the, the lives of, you know, hundreds or thousands or whatever of women and children and just being the leader and so he goes from this very sort of meek like oh i'm just over here doing my job to i'm going to take charge of this army and yeah. you know defend this city against you know an overwhelming onslaught that's a very good and, point you know so there's like that aspect i think there's you know also the aspect as much as you know, uh, uh, his brother was accusing him of, of being, you know, uh, sort of sanctimonious or whatever, you know, it's, you, you get the sense that he had a lot of guilt, you know, and if he didn't already have some guilt, you know, even if it was only by, you know, maybe some in- internalizing what everybody else was saying about his wife, but there was like yeah. something going on where like, you know, there was a, there was a heaviness to him. And then, you know, certainly after he, he you know, went and, and murdered the dude it's he, he was kind of like well i guess i need to go to jerusalem and ask god for forgiveness because that was pretty bad <laughs> yeah yeah no you're so right I, I and it is very like a classic uh hero's journey moment the refusal of the call because mm-hmm. liam neeson basically says to him like you come be my son and be an important person and bailey and goes nope i'm good until he changes his mind later after killing somebody. So yeah, yeah, there you're right. The, cause it is very like a humble blacksmith rises to be the defender of Jerusalem and all that stuff. So yeah, yeah, that's very, very good points. It was just something I was kind of mulling over. Mm-hmm. I, I generally lean towards no, no matter what your character's probably going to go through some changes. Like the, in terms of like a character, that's a true dynamic character is rarely the protagonist of your film. Like one of the only examples I can think of is like some James Bond films. Mm-hmm. Like James Bond doesn't really change a whole lot in some of those movies. But even the Daniel Craig ones, he's he does. Like the recent Bond films, he has arcs and stuff yeah. that he goes through. So even even that classic example is out the window at this point. So mm-hmm. uh, typically, a, dy- uh, a static character would maybe be like a side character who doesn't really. Right. Learn our lesson. Well, I think it was when McKee was talking about a thing. I think it was him who was, you know, Robert McKee, uh, um, wrote the book on one of the, one of the famous books on writing and yeah. writing specifically. Um, I think he was, it was him, if I'm remembering correctly, 
said something about like even when you have a static character, you know what you what you have around them is is people that are reacting to that and they're growing sort of in response. So even if if you do have a static protagonist, you still you know you have to build dynamism into the yeah. story through through how that person is is interacting with the you know more dynamic people around them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking like because. Uh, it's like, what movie was it? It's like this character has a lot of insight to people, but he changes too. What movie was that? I'm going to have to cut all this out. <laughs> so it's really bugging me because it was like, oh, he sees things. Fuck. I don't remember. Uh, it doesn't matter. But yeah, so, uh, so, but Neeson, <laughs> it's pretty, pretty classic movie shit where Neeson gets his last words out. Thulis is like, do you have any confessions for God? He's like, do you have anything you want to... I can't remember how he phrases it, because he's basically like, do you have anything you regret that you want to confess? And he's Neeson's like, everything. Except for one thing. Basically, he's implying like he's glad that he had Bailey in or whatever. Right. I can't remember how they phrase it. It's, it's, it's a cute line. But then Neeson just like dies right then and there. It's kind of like, the timing is insane. <laughs> but... That's how it happens, Jake. Yeah. <laughs> but Thulis is like, okay, so you're going to go ahead and get on the ship and go to Jerusalem, and uh, I'll catch up with you later. Okay, cool. See you later. <laughs> Shipwreck. Crash on the beach. Uh, Balin seems to be the only one who survives miraculously. Again, there's like a running theme throughout the movie that's very much like his is Bailey and touched by God or, or what? Like there's right. a couple characters that call it out here and there. Yeah. Uh, but so he finds a horse and tries to grab it, but it runs away. So he just kind of marches off in the desert, literally having no idea where the hell he even is, <laughs> uh, comes to an oasis, uh, finds the horse. He's like, cool. Uh, he's like, and now I got this horse and he's hanging out by the shade for a minute. And then these two dudes ride up and you've got, uh, I guess I should have wrote his name down because he ends up being a pretty important character. Uh, oh yeah, I forgot his name too. Because uh, he, he can speak, he's, he can speak Arabic and English. Uh, let's see here, I've got letterboxed up, so I'll just uh, Nasir. I think is is the guy played by Alexander Sadig. Uh, I think Nasir is the guy again. There's not a lot, of, except for like like they never even say King Baldwin. I don't think in the movie. Like they never specific like they say his son the son or the nephew is Baldwin mm. the fifth or whatever, but like a lot of names like, other than Saladin there's like not a lot of names in this movie it's like Saladin Bailey and Guy and like Sibylla are like the the four mm. names that and Renal yeah and Renal yeah that's a good that's a good point but like the king they just keep calling him the king all the time and and this this guy he doesn't really get his name called out very much but he's basically like. That guy says that's that's his horse, and Orlando Bloom's like, "I got this horse from the sea," and he's like, "Well, he he still wants to fight you," and he's just like, "Okay, fine," and he just like pulls his sword out. He's like, "Bring it on!" They fight for a little bit. I, I guess this is a, as good a time as any to uh, to point out uh, Balian's protagonist powers of the film. He uh, <laughs> our, our humble blacksmith also happens to be a master battle tactician. Uh, just. I know he got a brief training scene with Liam Neeson, but he's also an, an incredible sword fighter, master tactician, amazing blacksmith, the greatest blacksmith anyone's ever seen, even though that doesn't factor into the movie too much. Uh, he's just good at everything. Yeah. Uh, 
Where he learned battle tactics, I do not know. It's briefly mentioned that he did fight. Because Neeson's like, you ever fought in the war? And he's like, I don't know. I fought for some guy once for something. I don't don't even remember anymore. Fuck it. (laughs) So he like has a history of it. But yeah, he kicks this dude's ass. uh, And then the other guy's like, oh, shit. Okay, uh, you win. You're, You're the guy now. And uh, he, because he actually he gets the other guy down too, but stabs the sand next to his head, and he's just basically like, <laughs> again, this this, uh, this movie, even though it is like three hours long, it's moving very quickly because he kills that guy, almost kills Nasir, and then goes, "You don't seem too upset about your master dying, so I'm not going to kill you." I'm like, the guy's been dead for three seconds. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> like uh, he says something like, "You're not mourning the passing of your master." So you can live, but Nasir's kind of like, okay, cool. Uh, I think it, uh, yeah, I definitely read it is, is he's, you know, not going there trying to kill people. Yeah, no, like, of course, Balian has no interest in killing people if he doesn't have to, but it's like, it just, the phrasing of it was just weird, but he's basically oh, yeah. like, he's like, yeah. show me to Jerusalem. And the guy's like, oh, okay, cool. And they get to Jerusalem and just kind of cut to Jerusalem. <laughs> and, <laughs> Uh, Nasir is basically like, like, oh, this is a great horse. And Balian's like, yeah, you can have it. See you later. And the guy's like, oh, really? He's like, you could, you could, you know, I'm like, you beat my master and I could just, I'm your slave now or whatever. And Balian's kind of like, yeah, I have no interest in any of that. That's fucked up. Again, our, our good guy protagonist. Uh, But, uh, Nasir says like a line that's going to be kind of important. Something like the your enemies will know your qualities before they even meet you or something like that. Very like, you're going to be an important guy someday. See you later, Balian. And I was like, we'll be seeing him later. And I was right about that. <laughs> right. uh, but again, you know, it's the classic movie stuff where good guy does good thing for somebody and it ends up saving his ass later in the movie. And you feel like good about it. Mm-hmm. You're like, yeah, that paid off. He saved that guy. And now that guy's, gonna be the guy that spares his life and he but he he saved him earlier so you're like yeah uh, <laughs> but see they're not very explicit about it but they're in i didn't realize it but they are they're just in jerusalem now right uh and he's kind of walking around he's got this pretty like noticeable sword with this red gem on it and some dudes see it and they're like they kind of corner him it's a pretty funny moment because he clearly notices them following him and he goes to this fountain and they surround him, and he just kind of like takes the sword off his back and goes, "All right, let's do this thing." <laughs> and the guy is like, "Do you so Godfrey? You knew him?" And he's kind of like, "I did." He's being weirdly cagey about it. He's like, "How tall was he? My height?" And he kind of steps down off the ledge and goes, "Yeah, green eyes." He does this weird, like far away look for like a couple seconds, and then goes blue and the guy's like well that's good enough for me you must be his son or something come <laughs> come to the palace <laughs> i was like okay <laughs> good good for you that easy huh uh which i mean thankfully thulis shows up later who would obviously confirm that balian is who he says he is but uh thankfully it's ba- just it's, i mean thank god that balian's not one of those people who's just like like you know just really insecure and can't look people in the eyes <laughs> yeah i would have been <laughs> fucked because when, when he said that when he went when he went, what color is eyes? Green? And I was like, oh, no. If it had been me, they would have slain me in the market right then and there. Because uh, I never I can remember the color of people's right. eyes. <laughs> but he gets to he gets to go be at the palace. So And, like, Thulis shows up. 
They don't really talk about the fact that everybody else on the ship died. It's <laughs> just kind of like, hey, welcome to Jerusalem. <laughs> uh, oh, I forgot. I think before, uh, this is pretty important, actually. Before he meets the dudes that knew Godfrey, he journeys up to where the crucifixion happened. And he kind of spends some time on the hill hoping that like God will like talk to him. And his whole reason he's doing done this journey is he's seeking for, again, this is a, like I understand that the movie's being subtle and that it's something that he's obviously carrying with him the whole time. It's not like he's just, he's not monologuing about it constantly, but I, I do wish they had like been a little, had him hang on to his wife's death just a little bit more. I was pretty surprised when he fell into bed so easily with Sibylla. I thought he would put up a little bit of a fight, but Again, passage of time in this movie is a little weird, so I don't know how long it's been. Yeah, it'd be at least, I'm sure, a couple months or more. <laughs> but yeah, so it's like, like I was really into it, because like, when you see the description of the movie, one of the synopsis is basically like, a man journeys to Jerusalem to seek forgiveness for him and his wife's suicide. And I was like, I'm kind of into this journey of like, try, like going through hell just to like do what you think is right to like earn your wife a place in heaven. And I was like, that's like a kind of a... A weirdly, ro- like, it's dark but kind of romantic mm. in a weird way. But they kind of drop that plot line pretty quickly because while he's up on the hill, he's basically like, "Well, I'm not sure God's real anymore," and buries the cross under some rocks and goes, "Well, this sucks." <laughs> I came all the way to Jerusalem for no reason, <laughs> but yeah, so that all happens. Uh- <laughs> right? Yeah, you get the sense. Like, I guess I didn't. You know, I don't know how how, how much more they could have spelled it out with just being without being over the top but it's like you know you get the sense like people sort of you know it built up this expectation that if you go and do this and you know you'll literally just hear the voice from the heavens and then shining down you know the the light shining down yeah clouds and and it's like you know then obviously it's like he's gonna be like wait that doesn't work like that apparently it's very much like uh I think it's a very classic, like when things like this happen, you're going to have a crisis of faith, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of weird that uh, I watched this and Tree of Life in the same day, because there's a lot of, bo- in both of these movies, uh, maybe not explicit, but a lot of like, why does God let bad things happen type of stuff? Or mm-hmm. why does bad, why do bad things happen to good people that don't deserve it? Right. So it's very much like, why did we lose our baby? Why did my wife fall into such a depression that she killed herself like we didn't deserve this we didn't do anything wrong we're good people good pious people like why are all these people dying it's very easy in the face of all that even if you are a grown up on christianity and being a very religious person and that is your viewpoint in the world it's hard not to get disillusioned yeah when you're when you're faced with so much awful because at that point you just kind of have to be like who would allow this (laughs) you know and so I think that is sprinkled throughout the movie because to me, there's like a pretty iconic scene later in the movie where he's throwing stones at a bush and right. he manages to like ignite it. And he's like, see, uh, and there you go. That explains your burning bush. It was all bullshit. And I was just like, <laughs> Oh boy, he's really, uh, he's really come around the other side on this whole God thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I was like, again, that's like the, one of the more like explicit, like borderline atheist moments for sure. Of yeah. the film. It almost feels like Ridley Scott being like, See, this is a thing that could have happened. This explains your burning bush. I, I'd actually never seen something like that before, so it really stuck out in my mind. Yeah, it's kind of weird. <laughs> but, so he's in the palace. Uh, 
things are going okay. Uh, this is uh, while he's in the courtyard. This is where we finally meet Sibylla for the first time. Uh, she rides up on a horse, very like big character entrance. It's it's Ava Green or Eva Green. I don't necessarily remember how she pronounces her name. Uh, fantastic. Uh, she's going to be our only female in the entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot, a lot hangs on her shoulders. <laughs> it's a very, very guy centric movie, but I love her. I'm always happy to see her. Uh, I'm glad she's in this movie. She really does a lot with this role and she ends up, I mean, she's a very important character and her character introduction is fun. She rides up on a horse. She's like water. I'm looking for Bailey. And if you see him, let me know. And they look at each other. Like they're both kind of like, you know, I'm Bailey and though, don't you? And she's kind of like, I know you're Bailey. Yeah. It was kind of a weird scene. Yeah, she's like, tell him to come find me at the castle. And he's kind of like, will do. Uh, and of course they, they look at each other. It's very much like you're incredibly attractive. You're incredibly attractive. We're probably going to hook up later. We probably are. Uh, <laughs> see you later. <laughs> That's uh, how movies work. <laughs> uh, we meet uh, Jeremy Irons, who's playing Tiberius, uh, pretty thankless uh, character. I guess he's this is poor guy. He's just he is doing his damnedest to keep the peace, and he's Jeremy Irons is very put upon. Just like it's like I'm trying to like. I think our introduction to him is like some. I, I think it's Raynal. I I think is maybe there. Uh, and Raynal's like, hey, like some shit happened. I don't even know what happened. And he's like, and Tiberius is like, this guy says you fucking, mur- you guys murdered a bunch of people. And Raynal's like, I'm really, you don't have proof of that. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> and then he leaves and the other guy's like, what the fuck? You're just letting him walk out? And he's just like, I don't know. Here's some gold. Fuck off. Uh, and then Balian comes in to meet Tiberius. Again, Tiberius is the one who I was kind of expecting more exposition dumps from. But he's fun. Jeremy Irons is great in the movie. Uh, It's always good to see him, too. He's never bad. Uh, But he's sort of like the right hand of the king. Um, So he's he's being introduced to Bailey and takes a liking to him immediately. Again, this is a lot of... uh, He's like one of the first characters who's like, Oh, you're Godfrey's son. Me and Godfrey were like super good homies. So I like you instantaneously because you're Godfrey's son. So cool. And again, like we were talking about with the weight of Neeson's character, you know, Right, you're right. You like, yeah, yeah. You have to have that performance in order to buy that, you mm-hmm. know, of him just, you know, Jeremy Irons being like, "I'm Jerry Irons. I'm kind of running the show around here, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, like right underneath the king, like, like I'm the number two, holding everything together." Yeah. All right, you're tight. Like, like <laughs> me and your dad go way back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, even the when he fights those dudes in the desert, he says like Godfrey, and the one guy's like, "Oh, I know Godfrey actually." Uh, Nasir and them, they knew who Godfrey, like, Godfrey gets around. <laughs> like, he knows everybody. Like, I can't remember, but I think he's even got, like, a connection to Salahuddin and stuff like that. Uh, he's just kind of like, again, it just seems like he's like the guy that everybody was like, yeah, but Godfrey's cool, though. <laughs> we, we like Godfrey. Um, but so, it's uh, Tiberius takes Balin out. He's like, oh, let's get some get some lunch or whatever. And they're sitting down having lunch, and then Guy walks up. Uh, we find out that Guy is married to Sibylla, and you're like, "Oh no, the bad guy's married to the the woman." And uh, he's uh, 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 what a what a terrible tangled web we web we weave here. Uh, but 
guy sees Balin at his table, he's basically like, fuck this dude. I don't like this dude. I ain't eating with this dude. He like rants a little bit, has like a big line about, I must be off and my wife will not miss me. And he has like a fun line where he's like, my wife won't miss me. That either makes her the best of wives or the very worst. And, <laughs> and, you, and you get the sense like she's not into Gi, even though I think if you read up on Sibylla, she was very loyal to Gi. So this movie kind of technically does her character a little dirty in the sense that she's technically trifling <laughs> a little bit, but yeah. in the context of the movie, Guy sucks and we're like, fuck it, fuck him anyway. Uh, so it's very classic. Like woman is, is married to a guy and it's like a political marriage, of course, and doesn't really love him. So when she sleeps with Bailey and later in the movie, we're not like betrayal. She betrayed her husband. Cause we're, we're as an audience, we're like, fuck her husband. He sucks. We don't like him. It's like yeah, and uh, and you get you can just like get the sense, even though there's absolutely nothing in the text to support it. You're like, yeah, that guy bangs whores all the time. <laughs> well, they make sure they do a scene of that later, <laughs> where they're like, oh, and he sleeps with other women too, so it's fair. Uh, but because <laughs> there's like that one moment where he barges into this room, and the way they play it is weird because the woman she looks like really scared, and then he goes, "You always are pretending you're my wife. Why won't? Why don't we pretend tonight?" Or whatever, and she's kind of like lifts her skirt up, and he's like, "Yeah," and you're just like, "Ugh." And I was like, "What? What was this? What was the point of this scene?" I was like, "I was like, there's not a lot of stuff I would lose, but like, I don't know if that was necessary." I, I get what they're doing. They're like, "Up, oh, see, guy, he 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 gets around too." Uh, but what's the, I thought that was even green. I might have been. No, it's a different woman. Okay, because uh, he says like to her, it's she. He's like, "You're always wishing you were my wife. Why don't we pretend you are tonight?" That's like what he says to her. It's a completely different woman who I think we see like attending her earlier in the movie. She's okay. like in a, like one of Sibylla's attendants or something like that. Uh, yeah. So I remember the scene. I don't, yeah, that's kind of a good point though. It does, does feel a little bit disconnected. It, I think it's just literally in there to be like, yep, he, he sleeps with other people too. So it's fair. Uh, but it's it wasn't necessary. I already I wasn't like aghast that she was cheating on <laughs> Guy or anything like that. They've already made him such a scumbag that I don't care. But it's funny because he walks away and Tiberius like raises his cup and he's like, "To the best of wives," <laughs> and you're just like, I don't know. It's like it's you get this fun sense of camaraderie, uh, camaraderie where they all like they've all got each other's backs and stuff. Because she's, we find out she's the king's sister. So right. the King Baldwin, who uh, we're about to find out has leprosy and wears this crazy mask and stuff. Uh, she's, she's his sister. She's married to Guy for political reasons. Guy is like the leader of the crusaders. He has this massive army at his uh, fingertips. And it's important that we keep Guy happy because he controls a big chunk of the King's military might. And uh, it's clear that his main motivation for anything and everything is power and glory. Yes. Like, that's really what he cares about. All he cares about. Like, he finally says in someone's face, he's like, you've had your glory, now I'll have mine. And you're just like, so you're just doing this for, okay, cool. <laughs> Good. <laughs> but uh, Tiberius is like, okay, you got to go meet the king. And Sibylla's like, I'll take him. And they're kind of like. Uh oh, leaving these two crazy kids together, that's not a good idea. And then even when they're walking, she's like, They think me dang dangerous. They're right. And Balian's kind of like, Oh, you're trouble. Okay. <laughs> but I didn't realize that she was the king's sister at this moment, but 
she's the king's sister. Because I was like, why is she taking him? I don't. I didn't understand. Yeah, they don't. They don't spell that out right away. Yeah, I didn't understand the political like web that was going on. But she's very important. She's the king's sister. Her son is the next in line for the throne, uh, which will probably be happening pretty soon because we find out the king has leprosy and he's not long for this world. But uh, I think I'm right about this. But the king is played by Edward Norton, who we never see. Right. Uh, but so he's. Got a pretty. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I even realized that was Edward Norton. Like, like until, like fairly recently. You know, like some like years after I had originally seen the movie. Yeah, I was I'm just, like, oh shit, Edward Norton's in that. And I was like, oh yeah, didn't, you don't see his face. So. <laughs> yeah. So he's got to do a lot of acting with just his eyes, and I think he's really great. He's also doing an accent that I'm not sure I've ever heard him do before. It's like a real like, oh yeah, Edward Norton is like one of the best actors. He's just kind of a psycho so he's not in a lot of movies but when he is he's great he is fantastic Uh, yeah he's great as this king Uh, i mean in another this is another thing like right along the same lines of like liam neeson is he's not on screen a lot and then even when he is it's like he's covered in a mask that doesn't move mm -hmm. and you know but he's able to sort of make this role so big yeah the power of his brilliant acting (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and something else, though, that's like a testament to the writing and directing is it reminds me because I did Apocalypse Now pretty recently. They build up Marlon Brando's character so much throughout the movie that by the time you actually meet him, you're like, it's him. It's Kurtz. Holy shit. And they do. You hear about the king a lot. Yeah. Like everyone talks about the king, the king, the king. You must defend the king. Go to the king. So that. When they finally lead him into that big old room and you see the robed figure sitting at the chair, you're like, it's the king. Oh shit. There he is. We're finally meeting him. So it's been really built up too. So, but it is still up to Edward Norton and Marlon Brando to deliver a performance that sells us on these characters. Yeah. Uh, But again, he of course immediately takes a liking to Bailey and it's like, Godfrey was there when I found out I had leprosy. I got cut on the arm and, uh, and like Godfrey's just everybody's homie. <laughs> He's like, you're my friend. And like, even Sibylla's like, Godfrey was my friend and I loved him. And therefore I love you too. And you're just like, Ooh, <laughs> did you and Godfrey? <laughs> uh, and Godfrey. Whoa. whoa. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So we meet the King, get some, get some slightly clumsy chess metaphor stuff going, <laughs> but it's, it's fine. Classic, classic stuff. It's just, I always laugh when movies go for the chess stuff. It obviously makes sense in the context of medieval battles and stuff like that, because chess is obviously a representation of that, but it's just, he's doing his, like, a king tells you to do this and that and the other thing, but yeah, uh, King Baldwin's he's cool with Bailey and takes an immediate liking to him. Again, kind of important to the plot in the sense that People seem to know that the king likes Balian, and that's a problem for some people, especially Guy. This is very much like, well, the king likes him. He has the king's favor. He could be a problem. Also, we can't fuck with him because the king's a fan of him and things like that. So, And Balian's doing a good job of just being like, I'm just a dude. I'm just kind of here to like exist. Uh, but the king's like, okay, you need to go out to your land that your father owned, and I need you to like be good. You're you're at a crossroads. You're here to usher people through your land, and you know protect the weak, save the innocent. And it's very much like uh, a lot of stuff is made about 
uh, Baldwin is this very like benevolent king. Like he he allows everybody. He wants everybody to coexist. He's cool with whatever religion you are. Like yes, we're he's Christian and we control Jerusalem at this current moment, but it's very important to him that like they keep peace with Salah Adin, who is the leader of the Islam army or the Muslim army, whatever they were called. They they also call him Saracens a lot in the movie, but he's like, I have no interest in going to war. Like Guy wants to fucking fight, but Baldwin's like, I'm happy if nobody dies. I vastly prefer that. Uh, which right. is, <laughs> and you, I mean, yeah, the, the, the crusades, not, not a nice thing in general. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it's really, you know, Baldwin's just trying to keep a lid on a powder, powder keg mm-hmm. essentially. And he's like, there's a whole bunch of people over here that want to kill the people over there. And there's a whole bunch of people over there that want to kill the people over here. And I'm doing my best to <laughs> make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah. At least not for right now. <laughs> again, I don't fully understand the dynamics of him because they still have, he still has crusaders. Like they're called crusaders and they're clearly still running around doing shit. But it seems like every time they do something bad, it's kind of like it's Renault and Guy doing shit they're not supposed to. But I'm like, I'm kind of curious what it is they're supposed to be doing because they are still riding around with like crosses and and getting up to trouble so i'm like what are they up to i don't i I think the (laughs) official thing is they're probably trying to hold on to the land that they have like defend it from salahadeen and you know all the other muslims who are you know less well-tempered than salahadeen who just want to go and kill them for all the people that they killed you know over the previous hundred years and you know, so so the Crusaders, you know, official job is to sort of hold Jerusalem, defend the land that they've taken, you know, maybe take other land. And, you know, Renault especially, who just wants to annihilate Muslims. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of other people, you know, and historically that, that's, <laughs> you know, kind of a seen as an okay thing to do. <laughs> yeah. uh yeah no that's that's a great point uh and, and we get brief glimpses of like there's like definitely a guy in Salahadeen's camp who is like their version of Guy, who's very like we must take jerusalem and you promised that we'd fuck them up and blah 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 and Salahadeen's like yeah but come on man like we don't have to kill everybody it's crazy and the guy's like fuck you glory so it's it's not drilled down on deep but you can see that there's uh, the movie tries really hard to go out of its way to be like, but Baldwin and Saladin are actually really cool guys and didn't actually want anything bad to happen, but it's just unfortunate. But it's like, you guys still chose to go to war, though. Come on. Uh, but they send Balian off to his father's land. Uh, it's this barren, dry, shitty, dusty place. Uh, but Balian's got the magic touch, and just immediately they strike water and irrigate the place and starting to turn green and everything's going well. This, this is going back to what you're talking about is like, like his protagonist powers. I'm like, I'm like, these people have lived on this land for like how many generations? And nobody thought to, 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 to drill a well, like, oh, come on. <laughs> it's a little silly, uh, but Hey, it, it's happy. There's like fun moments. The kids are excited. Uh, they make like a little irrigation plot. Um, but Sibylla shows up and she's just kind of like, Oh uh, yeah, you know, just I was I was on my way to this place and just kind of thought I'd stop by, you know, no biggie. And they're obviously flirting super heavy. 
and right uh like <laughs> like i'm not here because you're the most most gorgeous man in the entire <laughs> middle east yeah they have like a fun exchange where she's like blah blah they have like a thing about silks he's like yeah but you could buy a lot of silks and really rise up in your station she's like whatever but he visits her she tries to wash his face and she's kind of like i'm not cheating on my husband by washing your face and he's kind of <laughs> right. like okay and she starts wiping his face again she's like but if I were to cheat on my husband, <laughs> he's like, well, come on, come on. Uh, and she's like, oh, just kidding. Uh, but they have dinner together. No, 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 no. We can't do that. Okay. <laughs> uh, he has like a funny line where he's like, I don't know when the last time I saw a woman eat was. And you're like, you're like, oh, it's like weird, but sad. <laughs> and she's kind of like, really? Uh, but they're, they're, they're feeling it pretty, pretty hard for each other, obviously. Crusading's yeah. really a bro sort of thing. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, for sure. But. <laughs> Uh, but eventually she visits him like late at night. She's got like a, she's holding a candle because they're going to do a thing with it. Basically where she, she has like this long monologue where she's like, and there was light between them. She like blows it out and they just, they go at it. They start hooking up. You're like, Oh shit. Okay. I guess he's over his dead wife. Uh, but I will say in, in uh, like, I've seen a lot of movies in general, I mean, it's probably been a year at that point in time. I yeah, because there's enough time for them to have like irrigated the land and greenery starting to grow. And you know, she says she has like a line. She's like, "I honestly wish I could never leave this place. I, I like it here a lot." And uh, uh, so yeah, it's like it's not crazy, uh, but so they hook up. I do feel like they have good chemistry just as actors. That's something that's surprisingly hard to get right. I've been noticing in some films, there's just like. Oh, these two characters are supposed to hook up. Their chemistry sucks, and you don't buy that. But it's like, nope. Eva Green and Orlando Bloom, very attractive people who seem into each other. Uh, I, I watching something fairly recently. I was, uh, hmm, what would it have been? Because I was like, yeah, I, I buy that these two characters were hot for each other. Uh, Wild at Heart. That's what it was. Um, I watched I watched Wild at Heart recently, and I felt, oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I felt like Nick Cage and Laura Dern. Like I was like, yeah, these people like. They seem like they're very sexually attracted to each other. And if they aren't, they're doing a good job acting it, which is what you're supposed to do. But there's just sometimes where the chemistry is just not there. So it's really important for uh, Sibylla and Bailey and to like for you to buy that they're going to hook up. Because this is also like some world. Like, I'm surprised that this doesn't factor more into the movie. Like the fact that she's like sleeping with him. And like, I thought there was going to be like a whole plot line where. Yi finds out and then it causes this huge disgrace and all this crazy shit goes down, but it doesn't yeah. really factor in too much. It is kind of uh, weird. Like, like, yeah, like, like you don't really get a sense of his perspective aside from like the not line you were talking about earlier. It's like, you know, it could be that he is like, you know, just like, like you definitely get the sense, like he knows something's going on, like at some level, but like, you don't know if he's just like completely in denial of like that his wife's not like, faithful to him or whether he sort of is kind of aware of it and he's just like eh. like literally the uh literally they uh end the intermission the shot before intermission is gee looking at bailey and and sibylla looking at each other and being like they're fucking and that's like where they cut to intermission <laughs> so i was like i guess he picked up on it even though uh there's, there's a moment where uh because like while they're together she's like explaining where all her rings are from and it's where she drops like that this is from france i've actually never been there 
And she's like, in this ring, I put on the day I, I met you. And, and Bailey, it's like, you're full of shit. She's kind of <laughs> like, here, you can wear it. Uh, since you threw your wife's cross into the rocks, you need a new necklace. <laughs> but he's like, okay, cool. But he like kisses it like later, but he's holding it in his hand in a way that you cannot see what he's doing. But you see Guy see him do that, and he's kind of like, oh, that bitch. And you're like, what? You couldn't have seen them. What the, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, they're, 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 they're hugging up, and it's like, Ah, oh, if only things were different, they could just live on this land. And if there was no war and she wasn't married to the douchiest guy in the world, they could just be happy together. And he, he's, she's got a son who Bailey and already with his protagonist power fixed his toy and gave to him. So the son <laughs> probably likes him already too. Uh, Cause she, at one point she's like, I had, a, I, I do have a son and Bailey and's like, yes, I met him. And she's like, when did you meet my son? <laughs> she has like this look on her face. It's funny. but. Uh, so we, we go to Guy and Renault. They're kind of chilling out on the hills. They have a pretty funny, it's dark, but it's pretty funny where Guy's like, I do believe that caravan is armed and they're attacking us, aren't they? And Renault's like, they sure are. And by the way, you were never here. And Guy's like, glad to hear it. Let's go kill people. <laughs> and they just ride down the hill. Cause I remember just being like, why, why are you doing this? Uh, but we start to see them massacre this caravan and it kind of cuts away. But this is going to have some intense ramifications because uh, Saladin wants revenge. And so they're going to march on and then they, and they've pinned everything on Renault essentially. They're like, Renault did it. He, he, he attacked the caravan. Um, although actually, um, right. you, you definitely get the sense of like, Renault's the loose cannon and Guy is like, you know, a little bit more like on a, on a slightly higher level being like, I'm going to let him do his thing and then it's going to help me out. Like, you know, yeah. just totally like, like playing this, the, the, the political game of like, I'm going to, you know, ride this, all this to, to fame and glory and power and everything else. And Renault is not thinking on that level. Renault is just like, I hate Muslims. Yeah. Let's kill them. A rap. Like there's a line like later in the movie where he's like, I always was who I was or whatever. He just kind of goes, I am who I am and I'm an evil bastard. Uh, but yeah, I was trying to get this straight because I forgot that later Guy bails him out of jail and they do more war crimes to really set the war off. I, I was getting that mixed up, but this is just a caravan. Saladin marches on uh, Renault's uh, town castle or whatever. Uh, Guy is arguing with Tiberius. It's like basically like, we need to go fight. And Tiberius is like, fuck you. You guys fucked up. You suck it. And the King's like, we got to go have Renault's back. He's, he's our person. He's our people. We're going to march. Uh, they send Bailey and out and Bailey. And basically is, he has this like tiny contingent of people, uh, from his castle lands or whatever. And fucking Saladin's army is there and they're, they're so fucked, but there's all these people that are trying to retreat into the castle and they're going to get absolutely murked by this army. If Balian doesn't try to save them. Right. So he's basically like, uh, last stand boys. They're like uh, <laughs> last stand, I guess. And, uh, so really we barely get in cause they get mowed down immediately. <laughs> cause right. they're like this tiny, it's not like a three they're, they're number, like what 20 <laughs> or 30 to one baby. Yeah. And so, but, th uh, they all get taken out, but, they're about to kill Balian, but the sword lands next to his head. And I was like, it's going to be the guy. Uh, and then it pans up and it's the guy. It's Nasir who he saved or he let go earlier. 
they have like a fun exchange where he's like, ah, you didn't work for that guy after all. And the guy's like, yeah, he worked for me. I'm actually an important dude. But you know, you reap, he's like, you reap what you sow. You ever heard that phrase? And Balin's like, uh, yes, I have. Uh, it's good, good to see you. <laughs> uh, so they're kind of having like a little meeting essentially. Uh, cause I think, I think Saladin comes out at this point too. And Balin, they're like, basically like, uh, you're cool, Balin. You saved my guy. Then he kind of vouches for you. So we're just going to let you guys go to the castle if you want. We're not going to kill you, but we are going to siege your castle after we talk to the king. So just so you know, see you later. <laughs> and Balian's like, cool. Fuck. Uh, at least we saved all those people though. <laughs> and then he, so he beats feet to the castle, mm-hmm. right? As the, it's a pretty, pretty great shot where like they're talking to Balian and then behind him, we see like the king's entire fucking army, like crest the hill. Uh, and you're just, they're kind of looking like, all right, Balian, leave. We got more important shit to deal with. And Balian's like, okay, see ya. <laughs> but the king rides up. Him and Saladin obviously know each other pretty well. They kind of have like a little meeting. And the, and the king was like, Tiberius is basically like, king, if you ride out to meet him, you're just like straight up going to die. And the king was like, sucks to be me, I guess. <laughs> and so he meets with Saladin. Uh, he's basically like, I promise you, I will fucking punish that guy. Please do not wage war on us. Like I will, I will take care of business. And Saladin's kind of like, ah, I don't really want war either. I guess I'll yeah, like a fun line where he's like, I'll send you my physicians, or because you're kind of like, oh, they're cool or whatever. But so Saladin backs off. Uh, Baldwin marches into the castle, and Reynolds kind of like, I am Reynolds, blah blah blah. <laughs> he like falls to his knees. The king's like, down on your knees lower and makes him kiss his leper hand i was like oh gross because <laughs> uh, like I, I don't remember how leprosy works necessarily uh but i was trying to figure out what was going on there because i was like I was like can you spread leprosy i can't remember i am pretty <laughs> sure it spreads spreads through like physical contact yeah and he like, like he that. like rubs his hand all over renault but it never comes back because renault doesn't get like he i mean maybe he would have gotten it later Right, yeah, I think it takes a while to catch. Yeah, but it's uh, essentially he's he's basically like, you're going to be a leper, like, also arrest him. And he also beats the shit out of him, just psh, psh, just whips him in front of everybody. And, they, and Tiberius carries him off. He's like, you can't arrest me, I'm Renault. Baldwin psh, goes down. Uh, and so they, they cart him off on a litter. Balian's looking at Sibylla. Sibylla's looking at him. Gee sees them looking at each other. They're like, he's like... I smell something afoot. Intermission is is when that <laughs> that's when the intermission hits. <laughs> but uh, so we actually pick back up from the intermission. We get a little bit with Saladin in his camp. It's kind of like we meet that brash guy who's like, "We're not attacking. What the fuck?" And Saladin's kind of like, "Hey, like they said they'd punish him. We don't want war." And the guy's like, "The fuck we don't." <laughs> and Nasir's there. He's like, "We don't want war. Relax." Yeah, like, it's like, we got a bigger army. Let's go. Yeah. And then Saladin's like, there's some exchange here where it's like, God is on our side. He will do good. And Saladin's like, yeah, he wasn't really on your side till I showed up, though. Hmm. Interesting. And now I'm here with my battle tactics and we're winning all of a sudden. Weird. Weird how that works. And the guy's like, fuck you. He's like, he's like, yeah, but we were sinful before and now we're not. So that explains it. Yeah, <laughs> Saladin's so. like, yeah, you tell yourself that buddy. Yeah. So <laughs> we just get a little insight into their camp. Uh, but the king, the king is dying. Uh, you know, he's just, he's just going out. He, he talks to Bailey. And I think at one point 
talks to Sibylla, who has, they have like a very tearful exchange or whatever. He's like, remember me as I was, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> my beautiful sister, my beautiful sister. Then classic like movie crying where the tear just slips out of the corner. <laughs> uh, but get, this is like where that Guy cheated on her thing happens as well. Uh, but we're, we, we learned that, that Sibylla's young son will be the one who secedes uh, Baldwin when he dies, which seems to be coming up very soon. Uh, Baldwin brings uh, Balian in and he's like, hey, like I will annul Guy's marriage to my sister and I will, I will fully have you marry her and you and her and my nephew, you guys will rule the whole fucking shebang because I love you for some reason. <laughs> You're obviously great. I mean, he's been doing a good job, like reinstating his dad's land. And he obviously just had this like very heroic stand where he saved a bunch of people. And he's so probably, he's, <laughs> he's like one of the few Christian Europeans in Jerusalem who isn't like, let's go murder some Arabs. Yeah. So Baldwin trusts him and he's basically, basically like offers Bailey and the keys to the kingdom. And he says like, we will assassinate Guy. We'll get rid of him. We need him gone anyway. And this is the moment where Balian's kind of like, nah, don't do that. I don't, I'm not cool with that. And it's funny because like. He, it even seemed like they were, he was kind of giving him an out. Like, like my reading of it was like, he's like, I'm going to name you is like the, the general or whatever. And then Guy's going to get all like pissed off about it. And then we'll like, you know, imprison him and, 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 and hang him or whatever based on him. Like. Yeah, you know, not, based, not based to mention, on a, a um, uh, what do you call it, insubordination or something yeah. like that. And it's like, I'm like, that sounds like you could, you know, you could definitely justify that. Like, like Orlando Bloom could definitely be like, this isn't really my fault. Yeah, and it's very he's still like, you know, stepping up and be like, mm, yeah, it, it you is, can't be a party to this. It adds like an interesting irony to the movie because it's like, like maybe deep in his heart, Guy knows, but it's like Guy continues to hate him throughout this whole movie. It's like that dude, like technically had your back like they were they were going to get rid of you and punish you for your fucking war crimes and in in bailey and was like no don't do that to him even though we're like enemies like i'm a good person and i can't justify that and he has an exchange with sibylla after this who's she's like what the fuck we like each <laughs> other like the king just offered you everything it's like and she has like the line where she's like someday you'll wish you'd done just a little bit of evil and you would have saved a lot of lives. And I, I, I'm kind of in camp Sibylla on this one. <laughs> like, yeah, like what right. the fuck Bailey. And like, it's fun for a movie protagonist to see him just stick to his morals so hard, right. but it's like, fuck dude, come on. Like could have had it all, like all of it. Right. And, and you did, you turned it down. And again, like you, you get the power <laughs> and the glory and the woman. <laughs> <laughs> I need like just a little bit of a bad conscience. <laughs> but he turns it down and so she's kind of like, well, to try to keep the kingdom in order, I guess I'm going to have to try to make it work with Guy. Cuz Guy's like hovering around, like he knows what's up. He's like, you guys like going to try to kill me or am I like going to be the king or what? What's going on? And she like comes up to him, and she's like, uh, we will figure it out. We'll make it work with my son. I'll I'll officially Announce you king or whatever. Uh, Baldwin dies. We have his funeral. We get a get a little shot of uh, 
she lifts the mask off and we see his like gnarly disfigured face. I was like, oof. I was like, oh, cool. We'll get to see Edward Norton for a second. And I was like, nope. <laughs> I mean, that probably is him, but I was like, holy shit. Uh, yeah, his, his face is fucked up. Uh, probably just a mannequin. I don't know, but maybe I'm going to get, that's where my money would be. Like, uh, Balian's off, like regretting his life in the, in the desert. This is where the burning bush thing happens. Like David Thewlis is like chatting with him. Like, Hey champ, you all right. Uh, and also like in kind of an ironic twist, Gee is like, cool. Uh, Balian's still a problem though. So I'm going to send some people to murder him. Uh, cause while he's out in the desert, he gets attacked, uh, pretty soon. But, uh, before that happens, we get a brief, uh, uh, Sibylla's like having her son sign some documents or whatever, and they spill hot wax on his hand. And we see this, this character who like hasn't really been in the movie until this point. There's this, uh, sort of like Bishop chancellor guy who's just going to hover around for the rest of the movie. Uh, I don't, I don't, the actor looks somewhat familiar, but he sees the kid get the hot wax and not react, which we learned earlier in the movie from Baldwin saying like, I got cut on the arm and didn't feel it. So one of the early signs of leprosy is you don't feel your extremities or whatever. Uh, so, uh Oh, kids got leprosy too. I guess it runs in the family question mark. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how to spread. Yeah. I don't know if there's a genetic component. It might be, or, or maybe it's just that he's, you know, close with his uncle and, you know, caught it possibly. Yeah. So the kids, uh, kids got leprosy. It's not, it's not good. Uh, and, and everybody knows about it too. Like Tiberius shows up. He's like, uh, just so you know, people are saying some crazy shit about your son and we need to like stop that. And she's like, yes, kill anyone that says it. And she's like flips over chair. She's just like, fuck. Why? Why my son again? Like Eva Green's like really going for it in a good way. You can tell she's like devastated. Uh, she, watched her own brother go through this horrible thing and so she's like my son and it's it's pretty subtle but she takes the son out to like the desert and she's like reading to him and she pours like this little drop into his ear and like they don't confirm it until later but i was like she poisoning her son and it's like yeah <laughs> she's like nope no, no leprosy for you we're just ending it here and now which is pretty dark move uh I, I like it because it adds like a pretty intense layer of complexity to her character. Yeah. Uh, Cause that's like every time I see her for the rest of the movie, I'm like, you did kill your eight year old son though. <laughs> but it's, it's tough. Cause it's like, obviously leprosy is like a horrific disease and it's debilitating and usually ends your life pretty early. But it's also like, I mean, your brother still did stuff though. And was an important person and still had his brain. And you just kind of like decide for your child that you're just going to fucking end it. It's pretty, pretty crazy. I don't know how you feel about all of that. <laughs> yeah. It seems like an extreme, uh, rather extreme measure to me. I don't know if there's also maybe layers to it too, where she sees this impending conflict and just like the misery that her son's probably about to endure. Uh, I think maybe she, I, she's not doing it out of any sort of cruelty or anything like, right. She, and I think metaphorically too, you're kind of like, well, you know, whatever, if, if there is, you know, any innocence in this movie, it's sort of represented by the, by the child and it's yeah. like, well, innocence is definitely out the door from this point forward. 
so I think thematically you have that going on. Yeah. So, but kids, kids dead. Uh, essentially, Gee is now like the head guy because of that. Uh, she, she like I think she officially names him king. Right. Uh, Renault, uh Gee also has pretty much let Renault out of jail at this point now too because he's like I'm in charge. I can do whatever fuck I want. So, uh, it's so good for Renault. I guess he, I guess he. I guess he picked the right horse to back as far as <laughs> his, his plans. Cause he's like, uh, and there, there's some fun scenes of him like stewing in jail and stuff like that. And he's the one that tells Ski he needs to kill Balian. But speaking of Balian gets attacked in the desert, but because he's a protagonist, uh, he kills all the guys, uh, fun moment though, where the last guys almost got him and he grabs the dagger off his belt and like jams it into his like eye or whatever. Pretty, pretty good stuff. The, the, the fighting, for the most part, in the film is pretty cool. Um, some of the battles are really chaotic in a way that's like, I like this because it's capturing probably how it feels, but it's also like a little hard to follow at times. It's just everything's happening so fast. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's hard to track. Sort of like like stay grounded and like understand the geography of everything that's happening in some of the some of the battles. Yeah, so I, I do prefer like the more the battles like this where it's just. Bailey and versus like four dudes just doing some sword fighting and stuff. That's that's fun. But now that Guy is king, he's basically like, War is on the table, boys, and sends Renault to straight up raise the village where they know Saladin's sister is. Get this like pretty interesting moment where she's like in the field. They're like, that's like it's just it's really weird because they're like, that's Saladin's sister, Renault's like, I know. And he walks out there and she's like, she says something in Arabic and he just goes, I know. <laughs> like he, he kills her. Like essentially, obviously he's doing this to provoke war and no war. He does provoke, <laughs> uh, because Saladin is not, uh, not happy. He sends his envoy, uh, to Guy and he's like, the envoy is basically like, uh, so yeah, I guess like surrender everything, uh, or die. And, uh, what do you want me to tell Saladin? And Guy's like, <laughs> I saw it coming a mile away. I was like, because you know, it's like the classic, like you're not supposed to kill the envoy. Don't kill the messenger. That's like bad manners or whatever. But I was like, right. He's about to kill the he's messenger. He's a dick. So he does it. <laughs> yeah. So he's like, stabs him, cuts his head off, which uh, we've also learned in this movie is like a bad thing. Like if your head is cut from your shoulders, I guess that maybe affects you in the afterlife somehow. Don't know how their version of the soul works, but <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm just pointing it out. Cause well, I, like, right, historically, at least in in Christianity, uh, probably in Judaism and earlier Christianity, and I don't know how far this went into the Middle Ages, probably through, like, all the Middle Ages up until more recently, I don't know. But, like, the idea is, like, you were literally, like, physically resurrected, you know, after the Second Coming or whatever. Yeah. Right? So if, like, you know, so that's why, you know, Christians are buried and not cremated or anything sure else. and then it's like well oh what happens if you're beheaded i guess then you're screwed or something yeah um no that's a good point uh it's just they make such a big deal out of like cutting his wife's head off and so it's a it's a reoccurring thing like when they eventually behead renault uh later in the movie i think it's like a big deal too but beheads this messenger and tells the other guys he's like there's your message fuck you and you're just like oh boy he's super evil He's like, we are marching on Saladin, and Balian's basically like, don't, please. Uh, it's a he's really, like, it's a bad strategy. He's like, it's a very bad idea, not just because, like, 
I think you shouldn't even go to war in the first place, but just water wise, you're did you making a bad call here? And he's like, fuck you, glory for me. Uh, well, and it's interesting too because Balian's kind of like, you know, it's unclear like like why he doesn't, you know, fight him on the you know moral stance. Whether it's he just knows like <laughs> why bother, or if he's if if he's like feels a little bit timid of like I don't want to sort of have this fight. Yeah, but in any case, like he doesn't even try to persuade him on any sort of moral grounds or, or or political or anything else. It's just like, yeah, strategically, this is not a good idea. Yeah. And so it's just like, because he, he like, they're all like, are you ready, boys? And like, Bailey and like, because he thought Bailey was dead too at this point. And Bailey and like, walks into the tent and he's like, what the fuck? Uh, hey, Bailey and knew you were alive. Totally. Uh, Bailey and's <laughs> right. like, don't go. And they're like, fuck you. They march off. I don't remember what scene this is, but I do have a note that Balian visits uh, Sibylla. I think it's kind of just sad. Like she's, she's she's obviously just like done. She's like, I killed my own son, and things are fucked up. And Balian's kind of like, maybe in the next one. I don't know. This is this is all bad. We're in big trouble. Your husband just marched off to go fight Saladin with no water. It's gonna go really badly. I'm just gonna assume they're going to lose and prepare for them to attack us. So Balian pretty much switches to we're going to defend Jerusalem mode while this is all going on. There, There is a fun exchange uh, because David Thewlis's contingent uh, works under Guy. So they're marching off and they, they have like an exchange where David Thewlis is like, well, Balian, I guess I'll see you when I see you. And Balian's kind of like, you literally are about to go die. And David Thewlis is like, because uh, the the line I, it's the only line I wrote down in the entire movie, but he's like it's like if you if you leave your death is certain and David Lewis is like all death is certain and I was like ooh that's a good line <laughs> like because it's like yeah we all die he's like what do you, what do you mean all it's like death is certain no shit uh, again very just cheeky yeah. rise like Wah. there's some good lines in here I mean it's, <laughs> and and a lot, like just throughout the movie I mean it's not like. Like, oh my God, earth shattering with any of it, but it's yeah. just like, you're like, it's well written. Yeah, just fun little exchanges. Like, the movie's actually not that dialogue heavy, so when they do bother to talk, it is like fun. Um, just like little back and forth. Again, like, a lot of Sibylla and Balian's exchanges are fun too, and even Renault, Gleason, and Guy, uh, they, they're, ex- like, again, like, I believe that caravan is armed, and blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's just fun, like, cheeky little stuff uh but they they go off it just immediately goes bad before they even get to saladin like half the army is like just dropping off because they're so deprived of water and exhausted we like see a guy just slump off his horse renault like throws some water on his own shoulder and it sizzles uh but they they get there and they try to charge it goes badly it goes very bad they 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 cut the scene (laughs) where like all the where all the soldiers were like you know, going up to Guy and be like, you told us this was going to be fun. <laughs> it's not fun. Uh, but they get, they get fucking massacred. Uh, it, it doesn't even show the full battle. You just kind of start seeing them charge and then it just kind of cuts to just dead bodies everywhere. And they're just kind of marching around the field. Reynolds and Guy have been captured. Uh, don't really know they they make a lot of business out of like Reynolds kind of like blah 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 I'm still 
he, he tries to like hand Gee Saladin like hands Gee some water, and Gee just hands it to Reynolds. Reynolds like chugs it, and Saladin's like, "I didn't give you that water." And Reynolds like, eh, "Fuck it, I am who I am." Uh, and like they try to hand Saladin a sword, but then he like pulls out a knife, stabs Reynolds in the in the throat, but then takes the sword and cuts. His, I don't know. It's like a they make a lot of business about it. I don't know why. And maybe there's some some symbolism going on here, because uh, like the eager guy is the one who like tries to hand him the sword, which Saladin does take at one point. Uh, but he's basically like, "Gee, I'm not going to kill you because I'm not supposed to kill the king." That's kind of like the rules or whatever. Again, it's like Saladin has like an honor code or whatever, even though Gee would definitely murder Saladin <laughs> if, the, if the roles were reversed. But uh, so. It's bad. I don't know. Again, I don't know the the. I guess maybe because they're a smaller contingent, but Balian does come out to the battlefield real quick. Like they ride out, see that that Guy's entire army was fucking massacred. We even get a shot where Balian sees David Thulis's head like in the pile mm, or right. whatever. Just kind of like, yep, he's dead. Whoops. Uh, but Balian's like, they're basically like they're going to be at the Jerusalem in four days, and Balian's like. That gives us four days to get ready, I guess. Cool. Uh, let's go back and... Let's do a montage and prepare. Yeah, we, we essentially, like... Because uh, 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 he rides out with uh, Tiberius and Jeremy Irons is like, this is all fucked. Uh, I'm going to Cyprus. Want to come with? And Balian's <laughs> kind of like, what about all the women and children and shit in Jerusalem? And Tiberius is like... <sighs> Yeah, I mean, nothing I could do about it. Sorry. Balian's like, dude. Doesn't he say something like it's in God's hand or something? <laughs> yeah, like pretty much. And he's like, I got I got, I got, got my summer home in Cyprus. I'm going to go chill out there. Jeremy Irons, that's a that's a wrap on him for the movie. We never see him again. And I'm kind of like, understandable. Uh, but yeah, we get a, essentially like a Home Alone montage of, of Bailey and prepping. Well, it's, it's great. Like, like the, the Jeremy Irons character, like that's just sort of interesting too, because he's like, you know, aside from, uh, 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 the Baldwin and, uh, Orlando Bloom and, uh, Eva Green, like he's the sort of the moral upstanding sort of person, but you, you see like, he has the right morals, but he doesn't have the conviction when it's like, when it's on the line, he's like, all right. Look. Yeah, you're, you're right. Cause there's a, there's a, I think it's during this scene where he's talking about like, I used to think we fought for God and country. And now I realize we're just doing this for wealth and land and it's all bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like he's basically like, this has all been so pointless, so much death for no reason. You see him question his uh religious <laughs> beliefs essentially too uh so yeah you're right to like point that out because he's again he has had like he's very much like a disciple of baldwin keep the peace like i've been trying my damnedest to keep this thing on the rails but it has fully gone off the rails we everything is fucked so i'm done uh why they don't use this four days to evacuate evacuate jerusalem i do not know uh i i I will say i have a lot of questions about why the the last few scenes of this movie had to go down the way they went down uh it's like because because essentially like i'm I'm not going to skip past the battle but the way this all wraps up is they they make enough of a stand that that saladin agrees to like be like i'll let you guys leave we won't kill you we just want the city and and bailey and's like cool that's what we wanted and i'm like could you not have left? 
like before did did every did all these people have to die? I don't understand. I get. <laughs> I, I think the implication, like like what you're supposed to take away is, for whatever reason, evacuating wasn't really viable. Maybe, you know, uh, uh, they couldn't have done it quick enough, or they could have, or or they expected Saladin's army to, you know, just follow them and massacre them. Yeah, it, they it's... tried to evacuate, and and you got the sense that I think once you know everything went down, you know. N- the, the the whether it was you know Saladin didn't want to or just wouldn't have been politically able to stop them from just massacring everybody yeah so so my my reading is definitely you know uh, um Orlando Bloom what's his name is is uh tr- has to make us has to fight in order to gain a position to to negotiate or sure else they would have just been slaughtered yeah it's it's tough because there's a part of me that's like i don't know send a messenger that's like we don't want to fight you you can have whatever you want uh let but, but you're right because like there's moments with like salah in salah Hadin's camp where he even seems like he's like i don't necessarily want this but the war train is on the tracks now right and right we, I, there's no stop in this bo- this 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 thing so you're you're right in that them making their big stand and forcing like the point essentially like you're you worry they're going to go to war for a few months or you can just let us leave and get what you want and we don't have to have more losses on either side it's just like when you see how much death there is you're just like whoa but you're you're yeah. right that's a really good point i mean yeah but and the movie doesn't spell out this but yeah i mean i don't know that's definitely my take and i think it's it's you know it's there i think so too yeah you're you're right. It doesn't spell it out, but it's it's heavily implied. I just as a first time viewer, I was trying to like puzzle out. Oh, was this? Right. Did this have to be like this? Y- yeah, but- there's nobody on there being like, yeah. But what about if we evacuate? You know, I mean, they could have done that and like you know laid out the reasons of like, oh, we don't. Because if know. I'm getting my geography right, presumably the city is like up against the sea. I think so. If they were to try to leave en masse, the Saladin's army would have just been out there and could have easy pickings and but like staying in the castle where they could defend themselves a little bit was probably the smarter move yeah if nothing else like the city has giant ass walls yeah so but yeah it's going down now so uh it's basically bailey and gives this big speech it's it's kind of fun because it's very like uh i'm not really even sure who's right about anything anymore like he he says like this land was taken when none of you were even alive and none of them were alive we're just fighting over something that that like doesn't matter but <laughs> you can kind of see the crowd being like uh, we're, <laughs> <laughs> you're losing them buddy <laughs> he's like but we're going to we care about our people and we're going to save you men women and children i can't, it's all about the people and like it doesn't matter what you believe in we're here to fight and then like it's a great, great, almost. I, I has I hesitate to use the word iconic, but kind of iconic moment where uh, he has like everybody kneel. He's like everybody that can lift a sword, get on your knees, and kind of uses this young kid as his main vessel. But he's basically like does the whole knighting speech that his father gave him when he knighted him. Like the, the he's being pestered by this shitty bishop the whole time. He's like he's just basically like, do you think making them all knights makes them fight better? And then they're like. I they do or yes or whatever and 
uh, moment where you realize, I didn't realize it until reading about it later, but, well, no, I realized it in the movie because he calls him Gravedigger, but the Gravedigger from the opening of the movie is there. He's one of the guys that uh, Orlando Bloom knights. Uh, and you're like, oh, what a journey for him, too. Because uh, he was like, he I, he's was from the beginning of the movie, but he knights like the entire city. It, it's pretty cool. Uh, I didn't even catch that that it was the same guy. Yeah, I didn't like, either, but like, they make a big point of having Bailey and, say, Gravedigger a couple times, and then I still didn't put it together, but then I was reading some of the stuff that was left out of the director's cut, and that's kind of like a tiny little subplot that they scrapped from the theatrical cut. Okay. Uh, they're like, but the Gravedigger, he came back. <laughs> yeah, and then I forgot because it was three hours long. That's on me. <laughs> uh, but uh, we we get we get a rare name drop here where this guy who's been like his right hand man in his land and stuff. His name's Almerick. Uh, he's basically like Almerick. If you live, guess what? But uh, you're in charge of that land, uh, so uh, have fun with that. Almerick's kind of like, but it is a dry and dusty place, and they have like a little smirk because they're like. Yeah, but I found water and turned it around. That's but that's what I said when I first got there, and you remembered. Good callback. <laughs> but uh, from here, uh, not going to go through every beat, but the, the, essentially the battle happens. Saladin gets there. They launch f- flaming balls at Jerusalem for a while, and they're kind of like, "Why are they not firing back?" And they're like, "They're waiting." I'm like, "Waiting for what?" I guess I don't know, but. We see the painted rocks when they get within a certain distance. Uh, Bailey and being the master battle strategist that he is for some reason has set it up so they know exact distances for everything so that their weapons will be maximum effective when they fire and stuff like that. Take out large swaths of, of Saladin's army. Uh, there's towers, these cool like siege towers that they're trying to push up against the wall so they can climb. There's cool moments where they use like ballistas to pull them all down get a lot of moments of like the, like they obviously can't see each other see each other but Saladin looking at the at the Jerusalem and Bailey and looking at Saladin like almost like they're meeting eyes like mutual battle respect for each other like ooh he's good oh he's good or whatever every once in a while we check in with Sibylla uh she has like a uh classic movie moment where she starts chopping off her own hair because uh, she's uh, going to go through a change and renounce <laughs> her queendom or whatever. Uh, <clears throat> but they, they breach the wall. Um, I, I, will, I will say probably my favorite moment, though, is, is like Sibylla's like tending to the wounded or whatever. And they're kind of like, aren't you like the fucking queen or whatever? She's like, not really anymore, honestly. <laughs> like, like, I was like, oh, good for her. I, I just, I thought... There's a moment where, like, when Bailey and, like, says, like, Sibylla, basically, like, yeah, uh, didn't work out, huh? And I was like, oh, they're gonna, like, get rid of her for the rest of the movie. But no, they, she's still there, she chops her hair off, she, like, they get an exchange, basically, where Bailey's like, hey, if you ever, like, don't want to be a queen, um, you know, maybe we could make it work, if you still are interested, and you're kind of like, ooh, okay. Uh, but, and I like that she's, like, helping out the wounded, and she's down there in the thick of it and stuff, uh. Would have been fun if she had a little bit of martial prowess and maybe did a little fighting, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, that wouldn't have factored into the movie too much, but not, not going full Lord of the, Lord of the Rings Eowyn stuff here. Right. <laughs> but So basically, they finally breach the wall, but 
uh, you know, uh, Bailey knew where they were going to breach it, so they're ready. They have this insane battle right where the hole is. And, you know, good for Balian. He's He seems to be on the front lines. Because uh, while I was watching this movie, I kept having moments where I was like, man, how bad would it suck to be the front lines? of, of It's just like, what, what are, like, it's like, oh, I'm in, I'm in the front. I'm going to die for sure. Like, right? Isn't there like a thing? It's like, when I'm looking at the guys, like, holding the spears in the front of the line, I'm like, you're just like, you're going to smash. Like, how do you, right. like, there's no way you live that. But Balian, yeah, he's up front fighting with them and he of course being the protagonist uh, is still alive he's kind of like leaning against the wall there's just piles of dead bodies everywhere poor gravedigger eats it uh Balin has like a little line where he's like uh rest well gravedigger whatever just kind of like sucks but saladin sends an envoy he's basically like okay uh <laughs> this, this is not going well uh what are your fucking terms let's let's hear them and Balian's basically comes out. He's like, they have like, again, the dialogue is good. They have like a pretty fun exchange here. I, I didn't really write down any of the, any of the words, but Saladin's kind of like, yeah, he really, uh, at some point he says to like Nasir, he's like, isn't that that guy that you spared? And Nasir's like, yeah, he's like, kind of would have been cool if you didn't actually, because <laughs> this sucks. Uh, <laughs> but basically he's like, I want Jerusalem. Balian's like, I will burn it down before I let you have it. And he's like, I'll let you all live. And Balian's like, actually deal. Uh, let's, let's do that one. Uh, fun, fun line where the shitty Bishop before, uh, Balian goes to like do terms where the Bishop's like, let's all just convert to Islam and ask for forgiveness, forgiveness later. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I was like, come on, dude, you have no fucking backbone. Like, he's that was great. <laughs> but, but I think was this is the, uh, the terms conversation isn't that too where uh where where i think he's he's like i'll I'll burn it to the ground and saladin's like yeah maybe it would be better if you did (laughs) yeah he's like he's like maybe you'd be doing everybody a favor and as he's like walking away balian's like what is jerusalem even worth and saladin's like nothing and then as he's walking away he turns around and everything and they're just kind of like uh okay but balian's like they said that we can just leave I'm just going to give them Jerusalem. Everybody cheers. Uh, I was kind of like, I thought some people would be kind of bummed that they have to surrender, but you know, I think, I think by that point, <laughs> I think, you people know, are like, all right, even the, even the gung ho types were like, <laughs> all right. We, we. Uh, but you know, they were, they were more fighting for, <laughs> to save the women and children and the elderly. Like they successfully protected them. They've secured an exit. So they, they won, you know, they, they got their battle. They got their victory that they were searching for. We get like, uh, some, some stuff of like them, like Salah like entering the Jerusalem. It's very much like, this is our Holy land. And oh my gosh, I never even thought I'd be here again. And weird moment where one of them like sets a cross back up. I was like, oh, isn't that kind of like the opposite of what you want, but whatever. Uh, didn't really write down a lot of notes, but as far as that goes, but, uh, they're they're as they're leaving, uh, Bailey, Bailey and like sees Ava green, just kind of like walking. And he's kind of like a queen doesn't walk. And she's like, Hey, I ain't no queen anymore. And he's kind of like, cool. We should like get together though. And she's kind of like, okay. I think they like hold hands. It's pretty cute. He like takes her hand. I was like, yay. <laughs> uh, happy ending for them. Uh, but <laughs> it's not, it's not over yet. 
<laughs> because uh, fucking Gee from the top rope out of nowhere is just like, I'm back in the movie and like tries to kill Balian out of nowhere. They have a big epic sword fight uh, through the streets and clotheslines and clotheslines and all that stuff. Uh, Balian fucking slices him up, has him on his knees ready to kill him and then just doesn't. Again, it's like where where is the line here, man? Like you presumably killed like fucking like fifty of Saladin's dudes, not to mention how much more blood is on your hands for leading the battle in the first place. But it's like ah, but this one guy who will maybe keep hunting me for the rest of my life. No, not him. <laughs> not gonna kill him. But he lets him live again and just kind of walks away. Again, moral victory, I guess. Uh, but yeah, we're just uh. They go back to France. Uh, I guess. I guess Sibylla gets to see France finally, uh, and they're they're back where they started. They're literally like living in the house that Balian used to live in, and his blacksmith there. I guess they don't want him for his crimes anymore. <laughs> I mean, I guess he's the he's the big Jerusalem savior hero guy now. Uh, but <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, maybe uh, uh, fighting in the in the crusade was like sufficient uh, penance or. Or, or what have you. Sure. But, I don't know. Yeah, they seem it seems like a nice thing. Uh some some crusaders visit. They're like Maybe <laughs> and, you know, maybe after a while they're kinda like, eh, it's better off without that guy anyways. <laughs> yeah. He was kind of a dick. <laughs> he was gonna get pinched at some point anyway. <laughs> uh but some crusaders show up. They're like, We're looking for Bailey and the hero, uh the guy who like stood up in Jerusalem and one of them's like a king. I think it's supposed to be an important historical figure. I, I don't know who it's supposed to be, but uh, he's like, I'm just a blacksmith. They're like, are you sure? We're pretty sure you're not. And he's like, I'm just a blacksmith. You want to go that way till they start speaking Italian, keep going till they're not. And they're just like, okay, later. Balian's like, cool. Sibylla comes out. They smile at each other. They're walking around. They ride off on their horses and uh, yeah, so they ride off. We don't know where they're riding off to, but Happy ending, kind of, for Balian and Sibylla. They're together. Uh, maybe they'll have a non-leper child together at some point. Uh, get sort of like a little blurb at the end that's basically this very pessimistic, like, <laughs> like uh, and they kept fighting over Jerusalem, and they're still doing it today. Nothing, no peace ever happened. Peace remains elusive, uh, is the line I wrote down. So, and I mean, it's true. Like, to this day, like, there's a lot of conflict still going on in that area of the world. A lot of, uh, a lot of bad stuff, <laughs> uh, going on. Uh, yeah. Not, not that I'm, an, not that I'm an authority on it. Like whenever like Israel Palestine pops up in the news, I'm just like, who, who am I supposed to be rooting for here? I don't remember. Uh, it's, it all seems very complex and complicated. And one side tells you that this side's doing this. And one side's telling you that this side's doing this. And I'm just like, uh, I don't know jack shit about it. I'm not gonna, not gonna step step my toes in that area right now. But just just kind of a weird, silly, pessimistic note to end the movie on. It's like, and there never was peace. The <laughs> end. <laughs> You're just like fuck. <laughs> but right. that's that's the end of the movie. Uh, obviously, I think, I think maybe like like there's a subtle undertone of hope of like if you guys just stop fighting about it we could all just uh be happy and yeah together yeah it, it's just like yeah it's just so tough i mean that's the thing with with pretty much every war movie 
is for the most part has themes of like anti-war in it right. you know because by showing you the atrocities of war you're horrified by it and you're supposed to be like uh but it's just so like we talked like we touched on earlier it's just like but why though why who you have someone like putin who's just like yeah fuck it bomb this entire country because i feel like it and you're just like why this evil in the world and it's just it's so hard to wrap your mind around you know and i think this movie does a good job of like showing you how these like machinations and political machines can start to take on a mind of their own and maybe lead to things like this even if some of the people in charge don't necessarily want things to happen but i don't know it's just so hard to wrap my mind around sometimes in terms of like why we do these things to each other like for land or power oh there's oil so there's money so we need to fucking uh yeah the, the like i know that uh the terrorists or whatever were supposed to be from afghanistan that's why we're going to iraq wink wink <laughs> Uh, and we're just, we need to station there. Not because there's a shitload of oil that we want, but because like, it's just, I don't know. And I even use the term terrorist loosely. Cause I'm just like, I've come around to the point where I'm like, that's just like some sort of weird fucked up catch all term that we just throw at people where it's like, it's like, Oh, I wonder why people are mad at us. Like it's, it's like Americans can't fathom why anyone would ever want to hurt them when we've just been bombing and fucking up other countries for our entire existence and using our insanely funded military might to just impose our will in countries where we are we are not necessarily wanted uh but yeah might cut all that i don't need to wax poetic <laughs> on war uh, especially when i don't know fucking jack shit about war i i don't speak from any sort of like informed position as far as that goes but it's just frustrating. I don't know. When you see these movies, it's just so like, yeah, war is awful. We should not do it. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> but I don't know. Right. Well, I, I like, you know, this one's different in, in, insofar as, you know, it's, it's explicitly focusing on this idea of like, you know, fighting for, you know, the, the, the kingdom of conscience or the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Like. That's not a war that you're actually supposed to go in, you know, the the fight real people in a real holy land for. Yeah. It's like the 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 war for or the 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 struggle for conscience is, you know, in in yourself or you know the 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 lion what is it the lion between good and evil runs through the heart of every man or 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 whatever and it's like you know what you have in in these you know, in, in at least in the cases of holy wars, which you know, if we can sort of separate those from other wars, is in holy war. There's this idea that like we're going to go and kill the evil out of the world, mm -hmm. and it you know, obviously that has not historically worked out very well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. More title drops than I would have ever guessed in this movie. <laughs> multiple people say kingdom of heaven at some point it's like liam neeson says it really early in the movie i was like oh i just always like it's like that family guy bit you know <laughs> yeah. like, i don't know why i've always hung on to that like yeah there's just a run where it's just peter watching movies and people saying the titles and it ends with like the and that's why i'm gonna have to be superman for the quest for peace <laughs> oh he said it <laughs> but they say kingdom of heaven a few times but yeah that is like the the kingdom of heaven is really more about like the internal 
and the struggle for a peaceful world when people are going to war. And it's like, that's the whole thing is like, we'll give you this. Like, that's why he says like, maybe it'd be better if you did burn everything down because then we wouldn't have anything to fight over anymore. Right. Uh, right. And it's it's just funny because like all the people that are like the heads of the armies, like the King and Saladin and all that stuff, like they seem like very wise, intelligent people. And even they can't keep this shit from happening. So it's, because because it's also like it's a you know it's medieval times it's this fucked up world where it's like you can't just not answer when people attack your people because then they'll just it's very like i don't always believe in this phrase but in this case like give them an inch and they'll take a mile is very applicable to this thing it's like well if we just keep letting you kill our caravans you're just going to march on us and try to kill us eventually too we have to show strength and like that's why Saladin like marches on Renault. He's like, "You you killed our people. We're going to make you pay." And Baldwin's like, "I I promise I will make them pay." And Saladin's like, "All right, you better, or we'll come kill all of you." And he's right. like, "I believe you." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Is there anything that I big long epic movie kind of didn't get to the nitty gritty of every scene? But is there anything I jumped over that you still wanted to discuss as far as the movie goes like i think we covered a pretty decent chunk of it uh got got into the themes and the characters a little bit uh but there's obviously still a lot we left on the table um but i didn't know if there's anything in particular you're like oh but this we should have talked about this (laughs) uh not yeah not not specifically like i really enjoy watching the movie and just trying to to track where the the sort of the more morality or the the sort of the moral compasses of the different characters sure. are like you know lining up in in where you have you know uh like baldwin and 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 uh godfrey are like the sort of the really the moral core of it but then you have you know different people with all these different ideas and and you see how they sort of clash and you can you know i think probably track that to some extent like like you know, what's going on with these different characters is probably, you know, a little bit of what uh, um, Orlando Bloom's character is dealing with, like, internally. Yeah. Trying to figure out, like, like you know, maybe I want some power or, you know, but then he sees, you know, you know, Guy and Renault and, and like, you know, that's not good. And like I said earlier, too, like, when you have Jeremy Irons, like, peace out, like... <laughs> You know, he's kind of like, yeah, but, you know, I, I made my oath to, to do the right thing and protect the poor people, even if it costs my life. So yeah. I guess that's what I'm doing. Yeah. And again, and, it's like, I think this is a movie that will probably grow on me the more I let it like kind of simmer because it's not like it's focused. The surface level is focused a lot on just the plot and the machinations of the war but there really are a lot of lines running through the movie where he is carrying that guilt with him the whole time. He's willing to lay his life on the line because maybe he thinks that's what will give him forgiveness. He's like, if I sacrifice my life saving people, maybe that's Mm -hmm. the ticket in, or maybe that's what I need to do. Maybe that's what I'm meant for. It's very much a guy who's just trying to figure out what his purpose is. You know, he's like, I was just a guy making horseshoes. Now I'm giving a big speech to the city that's about to be laid siege to by maybe the biggest army in the world at the time. And it's like, 
bet you're wondering how I got here. <laughs> like, yep, that's me. <laughs> but right, and yeah. there's an element like you know, in in both Christianity and and Islam, you have this idea that you know people like like human beings are inherently sinful, and you need salvation and you know, somebody's idea of salvation is like, let's go conquer Jerusalem. Sure. And let's, you know, kill other people who don't have the same idea about salvation that we have. Yeah, there's like a guy, there's a moment when they're, when he's traveling with Godfrey, there's this like priest who's like giving this, he's crying out to the city. And the thing he keeps saying is like, murder is, he's basically, this is like a summer, it's not specifically what he says. He's like, murder's okay if they're Muslim or whatever. God will reward you for killing the, the bad guys. Right. It, it doesn't count as long as they're bad. Like that's essentially like what he keeps saying over and over. And you're right. It's like a very, uh, you know, it's funny because like I, I briefly mentioned like the uh, Middle Eastern war, because this is exactly, this movie came out almost exactly when that was happening. Right. And I mean, lot, this was still like in the, you know, George Bush, George W. Bush administration. Yeah. And, this, and a lot of people see this movie as a commentary on that in a way, just because the timing of everything. And it very well could be. I don't necessarily know what Scott's entire intentions were, but I think you could certainly read it that way for sure. And it's like, again, it's like these people are going to war. And it's the whole thing. And then the whole movie ends with like, what was the point of all this? And it's kind of like right. shoulder shrug. Like, I don't know. Right. Yeah. It's like, kind of like if God wanted one side or the other to win, there would be a, a clear <laughs> victory. Yeah. At some point in time over the past thousand years. It's, Apparently it, he's staying out of it. Yeah. It's also like a very massively exaggerated version of like, you'll hear people who have like very devout Christian friends who try to like talk to them. Like, it's my, like, I, I actually had a, he ended up going to, like, a Christian college to, like, become a pastor. There was, like, a kid I worked with at the factory for a while who was, like, always talking about God and blah, blah, blah. And, and he just straight up said, like, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to save you. It's it's my mission to to give you the light of God because I, I want all my friends to get into heaven. If you don't believe in God and believe what I believe, then you won't get in. And that's bad. So that's why I'm quote unquote pestering you about it so much. This is like obviously the extreme version of that where it's like everyone needs to believe in our God or we will slay you. Cause well, I, I appreciate that perspective because it's like, you know, if that's really what you believe, like, it, you know, it, it kind of demands that you be uh, a, a little bit insufferable with all of your friends who don't believe. You're like, I don't want you to burn in hell for all eternity. That's sure. really sad. It is like, it is. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think a lot of people don't take that very seriously. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting because, like, we're definitely living in a, a much more skeptical age. It's like between this and, like, it's, it's just so funny hearing the characters in this movie talk to each other. Like, yes, God is, it's just, it's just a given fact that there's higher deities at play. Like, and, and the fact that some of them doubt a little bit is, like, sort of like shocking. Whereas like this day and age, it's like, it, it's, it's more rare for me to meet someone that is like a devout believer these days than to meet someone who's not like, like a little bit atheistic or at least agnostic to a yeah. certain extent. Well, one of, one of the things that comes up for me too is, I don't remember if the quote, oh, my, my favorite Jesus quote ever is not in the 
the Bible. It's from the Gospel of Thomas, and I, I'm not sure if the quote is kingdom of heaven or, or some sort of variation on that, like kingdom of the Father or kingdom of God or something like that. But um, it, it's the – he says the, uh, the kingdom of, of heaven is spread upon the earth and men do not see it. Mm. And, you know, it, uh, I, you know, I don't know if, 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 you know, the writer or Scott had like that in mind when they, you know, gave the title of the movie, but you know, it, the title of the movie always makes me think of that quote. Yeah. Um, you know, because it's, it's, you know, they're fighting for some vision that they're trying to create instead of trying to. Uh, uh, or stepping back and, and realizing, you know, from this perspective, like, all right, God created the earth. He's, you know, if, if God is this, you know, all powerful, you know, creator, then everything as is as it should be. And, you know, the problem is that we're not, we don't have the, the right perspective sure. on it, you know, and there's, you know, it's a little bit, it's, I mean, it's a Gnostic sort of thing. It's got a, you know, very sort of Eastern sensibility to it you know so so we don't get that you know it's not in the canonized bible it's not in the way that we normally think of of christianity right um yeah a lot of the more hardcore religions are very like afterlife focused you know and that's almost sad because you would rather people like meditate on why they're here in the first place and what they're here to do and maybe think about being kind to each other and it's also like, you know, sometimes when I'm in my most pessimistic about religion moods, uh, I always end up being like, religion was just some weak guy's way of being like, hey, eh, eh, uh, you shouldn't take that rock and smash my head because uh, you know how sometimes people go to sleep forever. You won't get to the good place uh, if you if you do that. Uh, and but sometimes I'm just like, I don't know, it's just tough. But I also I appreciate what religion means to certain people as long as it doesn't drive you to murder or something <laughs> like that I, and as long as you're not too crazy about it uh there's certainly values that you can learn from different branches and it's it's a very interesting thing to study and take in and, and meditate on and uh it, it's just it's really interesting that we're doing this movie and i like i watched this in tree of life on the same day because i started to be like oh yeah there's a moment where a character's like I just spent so much time thinking about all this stuff. I didn't stop and appreciate what was around me. And I'm like, Oh wait, that's in the tree of life. That's not in kingdom of heaven. But I was like, you saying that made me think of like, yeah, it's like the end of the movie is like the kingdom of heaven is just like me finding this person that I can spend my life with and be happy and just being away from this shitty conflict and, and doing, uh, doing my best to just like carve out my own little slice, you know? And it's also like, he obviously goes out of his way to, be kind and nice to people and and yeah you know, this is like uh yeah i don't know where i was going with that but yeah uh, <laughs> uh yeah there's a lot to meditate on i mean i'm interested to see how this movie grows on me uh it's also just fun to watch like a epic movie like it feels like a proper epic you know it's like obviously really scott that was his intention was to make this long three hour ish epic film that spanned the saga that feels like a saga and it's a shame that initially they made him slice it to pieces when it's like that wasn't his intention at all obviously it wasn't the intention of the script either it's, it's like I, I know i know you're one of my friends who really uh goes down these uh 
rabbit holes were, but it's just very, it always circles back to like, but why studios? Why producers? <laughs> like, why do you do these things? Like everyone that's seen the director's cut has said like, yes, this is definitely the vastly superior version, but there's just something like, oh, but like 20th Century Fox at the time was like, nope, nope, nope. We need you to chop 40 minutes out for some reason because we said so, even though you're the artist and we paid you to make your art and deliver a product to us, we decided in the last minute to say, fuck you. <laughs> it's like, why? Why does this happen time and time and time again? But on the other hand, yeah. uh, I've seen stuff like I was trying to figure out which version of Apocalypse Now I should watch. And like everything I, I read was basically like, if, especially if this is your first time, theatrical version for sure. Yeah, Coppola's cut is weird and bloated and unnecessary. And I was like, well, now I'm like, oh, sometimes though, like the constraints do make things nice and trim and keep the important bits. But I don't know. Yeah, I, I was kind of thinking like, I might, I might, you know, at some point in time, give give the final cut a chance. Of, like, I'll never watch Redux. I've, heard, <laughs> you know, seen the reviews on that. And, all right, I probably won't stay. But like, I bought on Voodoo. They like the, uh the pack where you get like all the different cuts and then you also get like hearts of darkness oh really so That's cool. i haven't watched that yet but like i'm super excited uh to check that out yeah i wonder if i've been wanting to do like, like a documentary or two for the show i wonder if i could justify doing hearts of darkness like for the show uh because like it's a pretty infamous documentary um so i, I don't know but yeah I, it's tough but i did enjoy the movie a lot um it's right. definitely not my favorite thing i've ever seen but i guess that brings us pretty naturally to i don't ask my guests you don't necessarily have to rate it if you don't want to i more just go would you recommend it you can give it a number rating if you so choose but don't feel pressure to do that i assume since you've said it's like one of your favorite ridley scott you probably would recommend it obviously the director's cut at least yeah yeah definitely <laughs> Hard recommend, especially if you like this sort of thing. Um, in the director's cut, definitely the way to go. Um, and the thing is, is like, you know, this movie might not be as high up on my list of, you know, movies that I really love to watch. If there were more quality movies of this sort, yeah, but yeah, because like, you know, there are things like you were mentioning, like, like you know, all the sort of plot conveniences and, and Orlando Bloom is just like, knows all the things and can do all the things. <laughs> and it's like, that might be a bigger detriment to me in my experience of watching the movie. If like I had other movies to compare it to yeah. of this, you know, this sort of genre that were better. Yeah. And there's, you know, the number of movies that, that are in contention for that spot is you know, very few. It's like, yeah. you, got, you know, and, and, you know, half of the other ones that would be, you know, in contention were also directed by, by Ridley Scott, where you've got like yeah. Gladiator and, so and used, Robin used to, Hood. And, it used to be, they made these big epic movies, you know, like if you've ever seen, uh, what's the Coen brothers movie? Oh, uh, hail Caesar. Yeah. It's like hail Caesar's like, this is, this was like their shit. Like back in the fifties, like my dad will like pull up clips of like the 10 commandments or whatever. I've never seen any of those older ones. Yeah. Like I've never seen 10 commandments or, uh, Ben Hur or, yeah. or, or Spartacus or any of those. Um, and they, they used to do these big sprawling epics where just hundreds of extras on screen mm -hmm. craziness. And we don't do those anymore. And the, this is like one of the few modern, like 
Yeah. Ridley Scott was like, I'm doing one of these, but I'm making it modern. And Real quick <laughs> side recommend, The Promise, it's not a great movie. Um, <laughs> and like the, the fundamental sort of hinges on, on this sort of romance, which does not really work at all. I don't know like if the I've chemistry ever, said the is promise. not great. Yeah, it's The Promise. But it has the look and the feel of like this magnificent epic. And that quality of the movie really works. And it's, mm. it's enjoyable to sort of just see the grandeur of the movie. And, and it nails like that gigantic, just having hundreds and hundreds of extras on set, like in costume in this sort of period piece. It's like, a, I think, a World War I maybe era. Is it the recent one from 2016? 2016, yeah, that's right. Set during the last days of the Ottoman Empire, a love triangle develops between Mikkel, a beautiful, sophisticated Anna, and Chris. It's it's a rough movie because like the whole thing is sort of hinging on that love triangle, and it doesn't work. Like, the, <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of the other stuff in the movie does work. Christian Bale and so. Oscar Isaac, though, that's fun. Um, so, but but yeah, just watching the like the epic movie making, it really felt like. You know, like I said, I haven't watched any of those older epics, but it, it sort of had this timeless quality and just this, the, the cinematography of it was absolutely stunning. Um, real quick, I'll do my ratings and then uh, we can uh, go to recommendations, which if you have any more, feel free. But if you want The Promise to be a recommendation, that's <laughs> fine too. Uh, ratings, because I still do shitty ratings on my show. I do best. I do out of ten, but we have a grading curve here on the show. If this is your first time, uh, so like I give things. I'm supposedly watching some of the greatest movies of all time, so I'm a little harsher on movies than I normally am uh, in terms of the context of the show. Uh, so for this, I think I settled. I decided I was going to give maybe. I was leaning towards seven. I'm going to bump it over to a seven point five, just because. I felt like our conversation was pretty enlightening and I, I really, uh, I, I'm starting to realize there's so much to chew on as far, as far as this movie goes as a first time watch. It was a little tough because there's so many things I'm trying to catch up with and figure out like little things like who is Sibylla? What's her deal? Like it, it actually slow plays it a little bit in terms of like, Oh, she's the King's sister. Okay. But if I, when I rewatch, I'll be able to, yeah watch it again with like all this context it's a stuff. very watchable movie and rewatchable yeah and like it's so fun like i've this is probably my maybe fifth time or so sixth time maybe even i i, like, I definitely like was like after i finished it was like i think i'm gonna go to sleep now and i just had the disc still in my ps4 and i was just kind of like start i'm just gonna <laughs> put you back on to like kind of close my eyes too uh, I, I could definitely see it being in the rotation for a little bit. And I, and we didn't talk about a lot of the objective uh, aspects of it, but I do think the cinematography is quite good. I think the performances are great. The script is pretty good. Um, the music was, was fine. I, I wasn't like head over heels for it, but it was, it was good. Yeah. It was good, serviceable, epic music. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, 7.5, I think is where I'm going to land for it. It just, it was good. I, I enjoyed watching it. I was really excited to do it. I was like, Oh yeah, swords and, bows and arrows and you don't really get to see this kind of stuff that much anymore uh so but yeah 7.5 i think is fine for now maybe i'll regret <laughs> maybe i'll think i'm lowballing a little bit or maybe i'll yeah. later i'll be like oh, i was too nice to kingdom of heaven who knows but i have to make these snap judgments during the show and i it's, <laughs> it's been less than 24 hours since i saw it but hey that's where we're at 7.5 
Um, do you have any other recommendations besides um, The Promise? Or is that your... Oh, yeah, let me, uh, uh, real quick, uh, for me, like, this is a 9. I'm oh. going to give this a 9 out of 10. Okay. Um, And I don't know if the, the movie totally earns it. If, like I said before, like, if Hollywood was churning out these sorts of movies with the frequency that they, like, spit out uh, superhero fare, <laughs> like, um, this might be knocked down to, like, an 8 you know, or, or you know, maybe even a seven and a half or seven for me, I think it's probably would still be an eight, but like, for me, this is a nine, if nothing else, just because like, if I'm in the mood for this sort of movie, like it's just about as good as it gets. Yeah. Yeah. I could definitely see that. Um, so, and, and because I like this sort of movie, I like the genre. I'm like, if I want to see guys swinging swords at each other, you know, this and Lord of the Rings are basically the two that are at the top of the list. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I would probably sooner reach for Lord of the Rings or Gladiator than this, but this is certainly going to kind of be bubbling around in, in the rotation, I think. Yeah, I think Gladiator has has better sort of choreographed fight scenes, and, and it's a little, like, it's the, the, the action in it is more... I think spectacular or, or there's something about it that's I think more fun to watch, but I just, I like this movie better. I think there's something about Phoenix's villain in the movie too, that he's just such a yeah. fucking shit and he's <laughs> so good. Like that scene when Maximus is like, holy shit, it's him. I can just fucking stab him right now. And he grabs the little kid and puts the little kid like in front of him. Uh, who it yeah. tries to make it look like he's just hugging him, but he's like using him as a human shield, and you're just like, you fuck. <laughs> it's uh, so good. <laughs> um, but oh, okay, so other recommendations. Uh, I'll just throw out uh, Body of Lies real quick. Same director, same uh, writer, mm. and another one. I don't not like it was. It came out like like it was. You know, I think it did okay at the box office. I think it you know was. Re- received fine by critics but it's one that n- nobody talks about and i think it's one of ridley scott's better movies and it you know i just feel like a, not a lot of people are like that's a great movie but it is not a perfect movie but it's a really good body of lies body of lies i don't yeah. even know if i know that movie very well it's, uh it was dicaprio and uh russell crowe oh wow or is it maybe 2000 2008 I was going to say eight or 10. CIA. It's going to skip right over nine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's Caprio Crow, Mark Strong. Cool. Um, But that's a really good, like I said, I think it's one of, one of Scott's better movies. Um, And then just random one that nobody knows about, which is not a great movie, but way better than I expected was a Beowulf and Grendel. If you want to see people swinging swords at each other, Okay. It's this low budget, but it's got um uh Gerard Butler plays uh Beowulf and they've got a very different take on the that sort of classic uh story. Okay. And uh like I said, it's not great, but it, like it's it's good, it's entertaining, it's worth a watch if you like this sort of thing and there like I said there's not a lot of you know, not a whole lot of content in that Sort of genre. Yeah, whenever you say Beowulf, it makes me think of that really weird Robert Zemeckis movie, the like where they were trying to do right, and it came out like the same time. Like I don't know if like like some like indie studio was kind of like, 
oh, they're making a big budget Beowulf. Let's do our take on it. But, <laughs> like, you know, so I picked it. I rented it at the video store. I saw it on the shelf. I'm like, all right, let's check this out. I'm like, yeah, it was actually kind of good. Something was in the water and they realized that, hey, this sixth century poem is technically public domain. <laughs> it's like, right. okay, guess we can technically make it. Same way as like, in case you guys didn't know, anybody can make a Shakespeare movie, just so you know. That's all public domain stuff. You can just you can just do that if you want. If you're really strapped for ideas, you can just rip off Shakespeare. No one can stop you. <laughs> right. And if we had if we had kept our copyright laws the way that they were decades ago, anybody could make a Mickey Mouse movie. I know. It's kind of funny because uh, there's a version of Winnie the Pooh that's public domain now, but not. Oh like, yeah, not like that. It's like if he doesn't wear a shirt, he's technically public domain. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but I actually I realize you make a good point about the fact that these kind of movies don't come up as much anymore. Because I was like writing down movies I wanted to recommend, and I was like, I have a lot, and some of these I don't think I've ever recommended because I'm just like. I don't really get a chance to because I don't get to cover movies like this very often. So uh, fasten your seatbelts. I'm going to run through a couple things here. Uh, we already talked about it briefly, but I would recommend The Last Duel if you skipped it and you like this kind of stuff. Uh, I yeah. can't, can't imagine you liking Kingdom of Heaven and then like turning your nose up at The Last Duel. Uh, yeah, like I said earlier, one of the best fight scenes ever. Yeah, and at the end, it really is good. It's very, uh, the end is is quite good. It all leads to... And it's just fun seeing a different perspectives and stuff. Like Adam Driver's character is really funny. Ben Affleck is surprisingly funny in it. Uh, I I don't know, but a Knight's Tale. I'm just. I think I've recommended it before. A Knight's Tale straight up is like one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> it's hard to explain if you haven't seen it. You don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. But it's just just a fun medieval fantasy movie. It's just a, not even fantasy. It's it's like real, but they play like. ACDC and shit like during the movie it's just fun one of, one of my favorites of Heath Ledger for sure it just I don't know it's hard to explain I grew up on it so I just have a lot of nostalgia wrapped up in the movie I've noticed it's one of those ones that I'm like this is a perfect movie and then I, I look it up on Letterboxd it's like a 3.4 which is not a bad score but it's yeah. like eh it's definitely not the 5 out of 5 stars that I claim that it is but also Shannon Sossaman is in it and I just I, I'm, I'm in love with her um I did a full episode where I covered recent movies that I'd seen and I talked at length about the green Knight. but I'm just going to reiterate it here. I really like the green Knight. Um, it's not, if you're looking for movies with battles, this is not your movie. Uh, I will say that, but it is like a medieval adventure film. Have you seen the green Knight? Yeah. Uh, I can't remember if you didn't like it or liked it. Uh, no, I liked it. Okay. Uh, I really liked it. It's one of my favorites from last year. If I ever get around to making my best at the year list, it will be on it. Um, last two here. Uh, I'm going to throw Troy out there. Um, also, go with the director's cut. Troy? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't remember which version I've seen. I think I... Probably the theatrical. Yeah, because I, I think I saw it in theaters twice. The, the, <laughs> oh, you know what? That reminds me of another one. Hard, hard, hard recommend. Troy, The Fall of a City series. That okay. was made by like... I think BBC Canada or something and <laughs> Netflix, I think like in collaboration. So you should be able to watch it for free on Netflix. Okay. And it is great. It's, it's not perfect, but it's very good. And it got 
like review bombed because there's like black people in it and apparently that angered you know the a, a certain class of people on the internet and uh. they just blasted the movie so if you look on like imdb or something like that or the show if you look on imdb or something like that like the rating is like probably like 2.7 out of 10 or something like that and like it's not perfect but like it's really good yeah huh uh but yeah troy i liked it i think i saw it in theaters twice it's a big fucking epic movie uh brad pitt is really cool in it orlando bloom is like a sniveling little weasel guy who uh it's it's, it's a fun movie if you missed it the, i absolutely love that movie uh it's same era too like t- 2004 uh i think it's so underrated it's been a long time since i've seen it uh but i remember liking it a lot but again it's, it's like got a great cast great cast classic sword and sandal thing like it's just like they don't really make them like there there was something in the water in like the mid 2000s where we were trying to kind of re- recapture this vibe and it didn't really take off i don't remember if troy was particularly successful or not i don't think i think it probably did okay but yeah it wasn't a big hit uh but last but not least a movie that i don't really hear a lot of people talk about uh is a centurion it is a uh, neil marshall movie he's the guy that made doomsday and uh the descent uh but it's this it's this like gladiator times have you have you ever seen centurion um, I don't think so. But, uh, it's, it's Michael Fassbender. He's this like gladiator guy who it says Britain, uh, 117 AD. So about a thousand years before <laughs> kingdom of heaven, but, uh, Roman, fr- Roman fr- frontier fort, basically. It's just like kind of a very, the thing, the thing with Centurion, uh, I just want to say preface is. It's not like the greatest movie I've ever seen, uh, but a we don't get a ton of movies like this, and like yes, a lot of the movies Michael Fassbender just kind of running around in the woods, uh, <laughs> but there's just like moments that are really good. There's a character she's like this huntress who like had her tongue cut out and she wears this like wolf pelt, and to me she's like I had her as like my laptop background for like years because i was like i just her character is like to me really cool there's just like cool stuff in it and the movie i remember watching it and being like this is like a six out of ten maybe a seven and then the very end because like michael fassbender is constantly being pulled between these different factions that are at war and then the way the movie ends uh, he makes this character choice to do something and i was like Oh, so that's like kind of what the whole movie was about. And it it all led to this and the ending, like bumped it up a a number or two for me. It took it from like a six to like a 7.5, maybe even an eight, just because I was like, I I really like the ending of the movie. It feels like everything pays off by the end of it with the choice that he makes. Um, And there's just some cool characters in it. And Fassbender's always great. He doesn't always pick the best movies. Uh, see the counselor apparently for Ridley Scott since we're on that topic, but I I feel like Michael Fassbender's agent kind of hates him or something because he he's in a lot of really shitty movies even though I think he's like <laughs> literally one of the greatest working actors today because when he's in something good he is great in it. Uh, but or, or when he's in Frank and he's you don't see his face for basically <laughs> the whole movie. But like when he's in stuff like when he's in stuff like Shame. 
I'm just like, this guy is a fucking stud. Or, you know, obviously people know him from Inglorious Bastards and all that stuff. But yeah, Centurions, like, if you dig on this kind of stuff, you might like it. I think it's a pretty lesser seen movie of Neil Marshall's. Um, I, I'm also just a Neil Marshall fan in general. I, I mean, his Hellboy was fucking terrible. Don't see that. But almost everything else I've seen him do was great. And he also directed some of the best episodes of Game of Thrones. Okay, like some like that. some of the biggest battle episodes are like Neil Marshall. Yeah, I don't I don't think I've seen those other ones that he did. And and yeah, Hellboy was almost unwatchable. Yeah, Hellboy is atrocious. But I, I think there was a lot of studio interference when that was going on. But I actually haven't seen The Descent. I've been holding off on watching it, but I've heard it's great. Uh, I really like Centurion, and I have a a massive hard on for Doomsday. Uh, it was which is like a post apocalyptic zombie movie that he did. Um, I just, I love that movie, <laughs> but yeah, those are all my recommends. Uh, again, you probably, if you dig on this, you probably like all of them. Uh, maybe not the green Knight, but I would recommend the green Knight anyway, <laughs> but yeah, I think yeah, that's, that's it. A very different movie. Yeah. Is, if there's Still anything... a good movie, but very different. Is there anything you'd like to plug or anything? Uh, nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you coming back on the show. It was really, it was really fun. I was like excited when I put this movie on, so I'm glad you recommended it. I'm glad it's in my brain now. Uh, it feels like a movie I hadn't ever really thought that much of. And now I just, I'm like, that was a good movie. Uh, it's always just fun to do this show and be pleasantly surprised by things. So uh, thank you. And thank I really you. wonder if the movie wouldn't have done better if they would have released the director's cut. I wonder. I don't know. It's you know. tough. Cause like there's something about like people with swords. That's like just box office poison. And I'm not right. sure why. I can't really put my finger on it. And it makes me sad because I love that shit. And I would love to make a movie someday that was a medieval fantasy movie, but I'm just like, they never do well. They never do well. It's like, right. It's, <laughs> it does seem like Hollywood has some like scent, like, like some, some complete inability, broadly speaking to understand like, just like what the draw is. And so they try to make the most generic nonsense. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think that's it. Uh, that'll do it for us here at Clear Tinted Classics. Thank you so much for your time, Andrew. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. You know I love you, <coughs> especially if you're here at the end of the, hearing this at the end of the episode. You're the best. You're the greatest. And I always say my shitty catchphrase at the end, which is, I'll catch you guys on the flip flop later. Bye. <laughs>